Hi, I'm Tom Scholey, co-writer and artist of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe and creator of American Barbarian, and you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. The cojones off my meat, Mr. Jones. Yeah. If you're, if you're not Italian, that's how you say it. Is that what I'm doing? Okay. <laughs> We're going there already. So, so, you have a holiday yesterday. Today. What is it? It, was, it, it started Sunday night again. Rosh Hashanah, right? And yesterday. Yes, yes. New Year, yes. And as I like to remind everybody, I was a New Year baby and I said, How am I doing this? I know. I peeked in your diaper. <laughs> you look like you're man. the only one. You lucky man, you. This is a weird start. A little bit. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm supposed to talk or not. I've been introduced. So, you could be silent. Like <laughs> talk about your peanut audience. Say to that. Maybe I should be. You gotta be here. Gotta. You're the heart. Mm. <laughs> really? <laughs> really though? You're the heart. I'm the brains. Jason's Jason the, the groin. Oh. Jason's the groin. Oh, what was Neesman? Or do we not talk about him? <laughs> the liver. No, we, <laughs> we, we occasionally talk about Chris. I'm still bitter. Yeah. Still bitter. I am. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. I'm bitter too. I don't have many friends, admittedly, and when they decide to leave, I don't take it too kindly. Mm-hmm. I understand that. It happens. Yeah. Still love him. Do you want me to not be friends with him anymore? I mean, I don't see him at all. <laughs> but I feel, like, side. I feel like I understand your side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, given that he's an arrogant cardinal... Me as, oh, me as a Cubs fan, it becomes difficult to uh, to be around him sometimes. So I'm fine with just cutting the cord and uh, I, I think he's, hello to him ever again. It does all come down to baseball, doesn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Maybe I'm missing out on something. Makes the world go round. Amazing. You know what else is amazing? That we have reached 386 episodes of this gobbledygook. We are 11 O'Clock Comics, and I am... Went to the macro to the micro. I am Vince B. You are Vince B. And it has been 386 episodes. I'm David A. Price. Oh, the cute one. That that void that is now filling your speakers, well, it was a void and is not anymore. That's Jason not being here. But he will be here. He's getting a Brazilian or something. I don't know. But he will be here, so he says. But in lieu of Jason, we have something. Someone many, many, many times better. Oh boy. As a guest. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> right? All you have to do is say God hates astronauts or blast furnace or incredible illustrator, but I think an even better designer. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yes. Mr. Ryan Brown is here with us. Hi everyone. Um, well, you know, Jason Wood, Wood is Brown. My last name's Brown. It's basically the same person. Uh, <laughs> no. I don't think we're no. at all. 
It's not even close. That's one degree of separation, I, th- I think. Uh, you're, you're witty. You're funny. Jason is. I don't listen not... to enough hip hop to be Jason. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. That's the only difference between us. R. Kelly just recorded 478 or whatever. And they're all hits. And Jason, yeah, and they're all hits and Jason's heard them all. He knows the words to all of them. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Sure. You know what else is amazing? It's amazing. Discount comic book service. Say word. DCBService.com. I'll say it again for the hearing impaired. DCBService.com where you can get your comics, get a lot of them dirt cheap, such as from Z2 Comics. This thing is called Carver, a parastory. It is uh, written and illustrated by Chris Hunt, but Paul Pope is involved in this in some capacity. They're not very specific, but it's it's a hard-boiled uh, type thing, and it's coming at you. Cover price, $3.99. Your price, $2.19. That's 45% off. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show, telling you to order mass quantities of Dark Knight 3, the Master Race. <laughs> <laughs> Masterminded by the godlike Frank Miller with minimal input from Brian Azzarello <laughs> and Andy Kubert and Klaus Jensen. Shiza. Um, the cover, there's two cover prices because there are two flavors. The uh, regular edition, which will be a comic within a comic. It's a masterpiece already. Cover price is $5.99. DCBS price, $2.99. Or you can get the hardcover edition, which reproduces the the uh, tipped-in smaller comic at the same size as the framing story. The cover price on this is twelve ninety nine. Worth it on its own, but you're not going to pay that if you're a DCBS customer. You're going to get it for six dollars and forty nine cents. Do the math on both of those. Fifty percent off, boys' pants. And from Dark Horse, the EC Archives Panic. Hardcover, Volume 1, a massive tome featuring Al Feldstein, Jack Kamen, Wally Wood, Basil Wolverton, um, Bill Elders in here. It collects, I believe, issues 1 to 6 in color. This is the first time these are collected in a long, 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 long time. Uh, the It's in line with the other Dark Horse um, archive hardcovers. It's $49.99. Your price Twenty-four dollars and ninety-nine cents. It's insane. And the full, I know. And the forward on this thing is by Bob Fingerman. Man, I so, did you did you read Ten Cent Plague? I finally read that. Yes. And now I am super into the EC world and uh, old comics that say bad words and uh, have showed <laughs> divorce in a positive light, which is my favorite rule of the comics code. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm gonna buy it. Go ahead. Sorry. Yay. They, uh, DCBService.com does not mind late orders. They also don't mind order additions and you get your book shipped right to your door. What more do you want? I don't know. I want Jason. Yeah. Um, Ryan, you know what? I take a little bit of issue when, uh, I mean, it's pretty much uh, the status quo among EC aficionados that the later books weren't all that great. Mm-hmm. Like, like piracy and, and all. I, I, I thought they were spectacular. Uh, I don't even know because I am a newbie to this. So I bought, um, I bought a bunch of, I bought a hardcover collection. It had a lot of Wally Wood stuff in it. Uh, and then I bought the Wits End collection, um, which is their 
super adult indie uh, black and white Unless stuff. Unless you're at Jason's house. Yeah, it's uh, and that stuff is crazy, druggy, nakedy, yeah. uh, wonderful, imaginary uh, awesomeness. Yeah, so yeah. I'm I'm just this is all new to me. I had never read any of this stuff before, and oh, how I envy you! Yeah, well, it's it's exciting. I mean, like reading reading the Ten Cent Plague was um, like really eye opening in terms of what comics used to be, how comics used to sell, um, how comics used to be in American culture. I mean, I knew I knew some brief stuff about it, but I never really um, understood it. Uh, and that book really lays it out in uh, like in a way that's not dry. For being like a history book, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah. So I've got a lot of stuff to read now. Oh, awesome. I don't have the Wits End collection. It? Cause I don't have, I don't have deep pockets, but, um, that was Wally just on his own. He was publisher of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like super it's... indie, super, uh, counterculture. Dirty. Yeah. Dirty. Yeah. <laughs> I love the dirty. <laughs> All right. So no Jason. Yes. There's Jason. You gotta get him. Oh wow! The my lord! Uh, this is—it's a burp. The machine has burped. It's okay. I should get Scotty Young instead of Jason. I almost clicked on Scotty. <laughs> Did air? Did air? Was uh it's about damn time, right? Oh he's, <laughs> my, my my goodness! Hey everybody, it's Jason Wood. What's up? What? Oh, already that. I no what longer have to fill in for you. I'm excited. I was doing a really poor job. You may have the funniest Skype avatar ever. <laughs> the Tron hey, dude. <laughs> I love the yarn. That's the best. It looks it looks like Dayglow yarn. Dude, all I, I know is like, I think my, my laptop's on its last legs. It took 15 minutes to boot up. Well, you sound pretty good. No, it's working fine. Like, but it literally like it took that long to boot up, and then probably another five minutes after I clicked on the Skype button to launch it. Don't you have like twenty more in the closet? You just gonna get another one? And I don't. I don't. It's not like burner cell phones from the wire. I don't have burner laptops. <laughs> <laughs> you lie. But I need. I need to get a new laptop with the quickness. Well, you you also needs to get up to speed and start doing this drink roll call here. But did you guys already do it? No, that's why we're. You're you're going to do it. Oh, this is like the first time ever. I didn't say who I was because you already said I was Jason Wood. Who are you? Mysterious man. I'm Malik Isaac Taylor, aka the five foot assassin, aka the five footer, aka five dog. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a long road. <laughs> Pay off. For sure. No, man. you're not. You're not all that. You're Jason Wood. What's up? Pun not intended. Yeah, you're. All right. I'm in the good mood we, because you guys seem to be in good moods. We are. We're having a great time. Oh, That's yeah. awesome. And, then you came. But... <laughs> Lordy. Drink. Roll call. Do it. Well, because you guys seem to be in excellent spirits today, I am breaking my new cardinal vow, and I'm drinking tonight. <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 no. Are you serious? Well, we got to get liver primed for a couple more weeks, man. It's yeah. almost time. I am drinking Francis Ford Coppola Cabernet Sauvignon in honor of uh, my booze. Nice. Mm-hmm. Can I go next? Because it, it'll be fun. <laughs> it'll be yes. <sighs> I am drinking raspberry lime seltzer <laughs> for you. I did it for Swiss you. Or polar? No, man, no. It's like cut rate. It's it's generic. RC. 
chopper. No, it's a price chopper. Nice. <laughs> you guys, you don't have a price chopper? Yes, actually, they're, they're 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 um, they used to be. I think they're from New England, kind of like Stop and Shop, but I know that they're uh, they're in the upstate New York area. But yeah, it's one called, of the most called price chopper. Yeah, price and chopper. if you look at the logo, it could be weird. No, don't, could, you're ruining no, no, it no because for years I thought it was a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most telegraphed logos but, ever. But what do you think? All right, the name of the the name of the organization is Price Chopper. What's in the logo? Not me. I would have said a cleaver until you said a helicopter. Yeah, it's not. It, it's it's a it's an axe. Yes, it's oh, a, yeah. it's chopped an axe. to I was gonna a, say an axe yeah. and like a, a dollar sign cut in half or something. Yeah, yeah it's chopping. It's chopping such point. a bad logo. Yeah, it looks like looks like a whirly bird kind of thing. <laughs> that's the first thing I thought of when I heard chopper. But yeah, that's that's somebody got paid good money to design that and design in quotes. What is our guest drinking? Uh, I am drinking some vintage uh, leftover camping beer. <laughs> uh, which has been occupying our fridge. Uh, uh, it's called Pap's Blue Ribbon. Of course. Uh, and at some point, it yes, won sir. a blue ribbon. Uh, I think at the World's Fair, Chicago That's... World's Fair. Uh, but it hasn't improved since then. <laughs> uh, fair. So, by like 1919 standards, it's the best beer in the world. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. You'd think you'd be sitting on tons of cases of beer, hey, Taft. Oh my gosh. I, I, I overdrank on it. It was too much. I had I had way too much. I have extras. I have stuff just sitting around my house that uh, that will never be drank at this point. So where where it is? It's really good. It's it's great. It's it's my favorite beer. Which I just happened to get lucky that they threw my label on the best beer they make. Uh, so hooray! Uh, but yeah, so they only brew it. They brew it every summer, um, and then it always sells out in like a day. Uh, but this year they, they bizarrely decided to give me, uh, 10 cases of bombers. And there's 12 bombers in each case. So I got 120, 22 ounce bottles of it. Uh, oh, wow. So yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, so if, you know, if any of you guys would have lived in Chicago, I would have invited you over and given you an entire case and perhaps Aww. multiple cases. Oh. It was pretty crazy. I would say that it's the best illustrated beer bottle ever. But, and, and you won't take offense. Oh, not at all. Say this. You, you do know Ralph Steadman is doing the, the labels for the flying dog. Oh, of course. Blue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're the second best. There you go. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. But, that's, but you're making yet another you're... reason why we're going to make our triumphant return to Chicago next year. Yes. Oh, yeah. You guys should come to C2E2. We are. Awesome. We're coming back after how many? Two or three year hiatus? Four. Four? Mm-hmm. I think so. Get out. It's been four uh, years. I'm pretty sure. That's yes. Depressing. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Our fair, fairless, uh, third coast listeners. We, we are coming back in the 16. Yep. Doing the gangster Will, lean in the 16. Will Pfeiffer has sworn me to, to attend. He's, you said you gotta go. I'm like, I guess I have to go now. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's been gone too long. It'll be fun. Yeah. Sure. The show's and, getting, the show's getting crazy. They moved it to a new area of McCormick place two years ago and, uh, yeah, last year it was nuts. It was really, really nuts, but the space is large enough that, um, it's not New York Comic Con congestion, but it's still like very active. And, and where there's, where there's C2E2, there is ink. Yeah. Yes. I'm getting another Me one. Me too. Long yeah. overdue. So you guys do that at the show? We've got, mm-hmm. I've, every one of my tattoos I've gotten at the, at C2E2. Wow. 
Yeah. Norton got I'm Norton getting... got a pug on his arm last year during C two E two. We all get him from the time, same guy too. The first time that I've ever seen someone abandon their artist alley table to get a tattoo for like four hours. Yeah, we've uh we the first C two E two we thanks for listening too by the way Ryan uh for first C two E two we uh. Don't berate the guest. <laughs> we, uh, we were, we were amazed at the fact that there was a tattoo parlor set up at the con and mm-hmm. we're staring at everybody's wares. And one of the dudes heard us chatting and said, wait a minute, I recognize those voices. Are you Dap, Wood, and Vince, which floored us? And we said, indeed we are. Turns out that, uh, it was Brian Stringer, our buddy. And, um, he sort of, Convinced us and gave us the confidence to all get our very first tattoos that, that weekend and, uh, very spur of the moment. And since then we have all gotten more from him at, uh, at Chicago. Yep. And, and you know, Jason, you're, you're 100% right because I've been watching Ink Masters. Stringer is a million times better than these For people. sure, for sure. Oh, a million. And it's like, how did we stumble upon this guy blind? It was we got our, it was so our... lucky, dude. Like, we, I, yeah. I look at my tattoos every day, and I just think how unbelievably lucky we are with those, that first one. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there are way more bad tattoos than good tattoos out there. You're right. You're right. Now, Mr. Brown, here is a question for you. If you could only get one character from God Hates Astronauts immortalized on your flesh, your Great supple question. flesh, what character would that be? Oh, man. Uh, it would probably be 3D Cowboy. Because <laughs> uh, it would be minimal. <laughs> and then you could, I wonder if you could do a tattoo and make it, uh, you know, the red-blue 3D and have it actually work. Oh, yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, if you, can, if you can print it, you can duplicate it uh, in a tattoo. Yeah. Um, I'd either do that or I'd, or I'd get Charles Soule, uh, tattooed on me. That'd be good too. That wouldn't be weird at all. favorite. You fucking let me do it. <laughs> Cause he listens. Um, and, and just, just so that everybody knows, it's, um, Westchester wheat whiskey is what I'm drinking. <laughs> Well, we were going to get there. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Hey, your travels and shit, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Okay. Always, always feels left out. Oh, my God. It's why a pretty would I one. feel I left that, out? That is feeling more like Spider Hero than Spider Man tonight. Why would I, why would I, it's, we've only like, you know, we're asking guests all these questions and shit. Why, why would I think that anything was forgotten? Oh, my goodness. Did you get this a band is... in on a corner once when you were young? Don't worry about it. We don't talk about that. <laughs> I, I swear I'll be back. I swear. Uh-huh. You buy Yeah, food. okay. Yeah, how many months? How many months did we not have a podcast? Oh, he always brings that up. Good. I mean, God. someone there, has to. Board, we've never not had a podcast. So. Did I not redeem myself? Yes, you did. Cuz I can't quit you. I can't it, do it without. It's true, Dad. Think of it this way. His negligence for those first <laughs> few months led to you meeting your boo. That is true. Dick. Let's ah. ask the guest. <laughs> All right, Mr. Brown, you, you have a lot of projects in the works. Um, primarily this Kickstarter that you got running. Yeah. You got funded Let's hear four about minutes. This. That was, yeah. That was insane. I backed it already, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I think I was, did you? I think that was an early bird. I know I, I did. backed it right away, but let me just double check. So I don't the, feel bad. the man has work to do. He doesn't hover over the Kickstarter. Yeah, okay. You seen his he Facebook does. post? Come on. Well, usually, no. usually the Kickstarter alerts you. To of your backer by just their first name. So, yeah. uh, so you actually find out who they you are. have 8,000 backers, there'd be more than one Jason. List quite frequently. Oh, snap. I have not backed it yet. 
You have not because oh, I, no, I have. Yes, I have. There we go. I just took a. I backed it. There we go. You're a backer. Bam. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There we go, dog. Paolo well, Rivera is a backer, which like I was like I did a double take. And then, that was awesome. <laughs> I got the absolutely absolute edition. Should I level up from there, Brian, or should uh, I? Get... No, I think that's fine. I think that's pretty good. That's just the book. Well, that's all you want is the book. That's the best part. Guy, let, let's let Mr. Brown inform our listeners why they should back it as well. Um, hmm. Boy, that's tough. Uh, no, it's, um, it's a book that I'm due as an improv comic. Um, and it was done because I kept getting hired to do serious books, which I still can't understand why I constantly would get hired to do serious books when the only thing I'm good at is telling jokes. Uh, so I started doing it. Not true. Um, I started doing it on the side as a way of doing silly stuff every single day. So I would spend an hour on each page and do an hour, uh, do a page a day. Uh, so it was basically, I could spend an hour on each page writing and drawing it. And I would have no planning whatsoever as to what was going to happen in the, in, on the page. Uh, and the original plan was to do it for an entire year, every single day, five days a week. So take the weekends off. Uh, and then nobody was reading it. So I stopped. Uh, so I did six months and then I stopped and, uh, and so I finally have come back to it, uh, after the end of God Hates Astronauts and I'm putting together this, um, like full, fully done, fully realized edition that's, um, that's 280 pages and full color and super fancy and, uh, yeah, so that's what it is. So it's, it's, um, it's very unfocused. And it's very stream of consciousness because there are 280 pages and it is, uh, has no script whatsoever to begin with. Um, so yeah, so it's a little weird. It's a little different than God Hates Astronauts stuff. It's more of a parody of crime comics than, uh, than superhero comics, which is what God Hates Astronauts is. Um, so yeah, so that's what the book is. Um, and it got funded in the first eight hours, which is pretty awesome. Um, it is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. Well, it it's, it's it was very different than God Hates Astronauts in that uh, because this is my third Kickstarter. When I when I put it up, I for the first hour made it available only to the people that had backed my Kickstarters before, okay. um, and so then I had like special limited rewards that were for early birds and people that jumped right on it, um, and that ended up getting it. Uh, just the people that were waiting for it really jumped on it really really fast. Uh, and so then that like hit its goal super fast, which I think is like probably one of the, the keys to having a successful Kickstarter is people, people are more likely to back things when they, when they feel confident they're actually going to get something that it's going to work. So, um, so yeah, so that all, every, everything worked out really well with it. Um, in terms of, you know, getting, making the book that I want to make and like right now it's about 90% done. Um, and, um, you know, just kind of returning from doing an image book where I was struggling to get every store in the world to order as many copies as possible. It was nice to get back to just selling a book directly to my fans um, and having them be a part of it and having them support what I was doing uh, and having their money instead of going to, um, you know, distributors and stores and a publisher, uh, it went directly to me for the funding of the book, uh, which I think is a really uh, exciting thing that uh, Kickstarter offers. 
you uh you are very much the uh the Kickstarter veteran now. So um I mean, what have you learned this time out? I mean, obviously you just talked about the idea of, of sort of front selling to existing backers, but, but do you, are you confident that, uh, the trials and tribulations of the first two will make this go smoother on your end, whether it be from logistics or, or pricing or shipping? Like what, what kind of things have you learned that maybe some of the budding listeners out there that want to do their own Kickstarters, uh, might not know in their first go around? Yeah, I learned a lot. Um, this, this, this one is, uh, significantly slimmed down from the God Hates Astronauts one, because that one had so many elements that I had to be involved in um, with fulfilling of the books, uh, you know, additions with sketches, additions with, uh, you know, stamps and drawings and signings. And, uh, you know, I did like defaced editions where I'd have to draw all over uh, issues for people. So it was a thing that it was it was extremely the, that was extremely labor intensive in terms of what I had to be doing uh after during the fulfillment process. So with this one, uh I decided to trim it down to things that didn't need my hands on every single book uh because that was what made the last one so hard. The other thing that I did um which led to this being kind of a smaller Kickstarter was that the book is not a hardcover. Um and the book is not a hardcover because uh, God Hates Astronauts was, and that was a Kickstarter that I fulfilled that was 4,000 pounds of books. Um, and those things are heavy as hell, you know, mm-hmm. like each book is a pound and a half and then each box has 20 books in it. And so then you've got these 30 pound boxes that you're lugging around, you know, my studio over and over and over and over again. And, you know, lugging them to the post office and all this stuff. I mean, it just, it was really, really crazy how, physical it all was so um for this one uh a friend of mine owns a ups store and i'm getting all the books shipped to him and he's going to uh i'm paying for his employees to fulfill all my orders um Mm -hmm. that don't need my involvement in them uh you know like i might go and like sign books for a day or something and then and then they'll package them all up so that um because i realized that last kickstarter uh I spent a good three months solid working full time on fulfilling and I didn't make any comics during that time. So right. I wanted to have a way to uh, have it not dominate my life, um, but still like make the book the way that I wanted to make it. Right. Now, would you say that it was the giddiness of, you know, fulfilling your first Kickstarter? I mean, you, you knocked it out of the park. So, you saw the, the all the play that you were getting, and were all the frills involved with the first God Eats Astronauts Kickstarter? I mean, you were there was a part where you were just like giddy. Oh my God! There's more people coming in to buy this thing. Mm-hmm. Let let's add something else to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why it kind of spiraled out of control a little bit. I mean, out of control within reason because I still fulfilled it all. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was so exciting. To me, that there was such such a like uh, a strong interest in it, um, because again, this is a book that nobody would publish, and the numbers on the webcomic certainly weren't good enough to you know have any ad revenue. Um, so it was something that I was. I mean, that's why that first the first volume was work that I did over the course of seven years, uh, because I would draw it, um, you know, shop it around, quit for a year pick it back up, you know, get another job, 
quit, you know, back and forth like that. So, um, that, that one was definitely a, a, a validation, you know, that was, that was super exciting. And even my wildest dreams weren't, weren't where that one went. Um, so yeah, so I got pretty excited and was adding tons of crazy levels, um, during the process of it. And then that ended up being stuff that, you know, at the time it's like, well, I'll, I'll worry about it later. And then once later came, it was, it was, it was pretty tough. It was three months. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so yeah, so again, like it's just a learning process. Um, you know, on this one, especially like with a Kickstarter, um, the Kickstarter is a, a service that you're basically doing pre-orders, right? And, right. um, so for every book that you sell that is cost for you in terms of the book and the shipping materials, um, and giving, you know, your percentage to Kickstarter, but it's also your time. So the more that you sell, the more work you have to do, the more money you have to spend on the actual print run and on the packaging materials, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, when your Kickstarter goes beyond your goal and then continues to grow and grow and grow, um, you're making a lot more work for yourself and you're making a lot more expense for yourself. Um, so I think, and I think I've kind of hit it with Blast Furnace. I'm trying to go for a sweet spot where a lot, enough pe- people pre-ordered it that I could comfortably get a good print run. Um, but then I'm going to have these books to sell at comic shows, hopefully for at least a couple of years before they go out of print. Um, and I think that that to me is, um, you know, the, be- the best part about it is having having this finished book that's that's totally paid for through people just ordering it ahead of time. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's 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 what really what I'm looking forward to uh, now instead of it just being some crazy overwhelming experience having it be a really solid experience where i can connect with my fans and sell the books directly to them and then get get the thing made smart approach i'm trying man i'm trying i think about this stuff way too much <laughs> well i no i think it's i don't think you can think about it too much that's the reason why you're so successful with the kickstarters where we have seen many kickstarters go down in flames yeah well it, i mean a lot of it is just doing your homework all the information is out there Right. You just have to you just have to think about what you have to think about, you know, what you have to consider when you when you when you go through it. I mean, the the simple thing that, you know, people will screw up, of course, is shipping, Um, not considering the size of the package, not considering what the packaging is going to be like, Uh, you know, having add ons where they'll they'll offer like, you know, like a print, you know, as a stretch goal. But then you realize that the print, you're going to have to get a tube. And you can't fit a book in a tube, so you're gonna have to send two packages to everyone. Like those, those are the kind of things that happen that people really sink themselves on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, you just you just have to to really do like a uh, like a worst case scenario, a from all angles, just really think about what could go wrong. Um, and again, like I'm sitting here, this is my third Kickstarter, and I I'm I'm kind of ready to find something that I did not consider. Um, that is gonna is gonna be a problem. So, um, but yeah, hopefully it will be kind of minimal if that does happen. But uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's a really really great way of pre-ordering books um, directly to the people that want to buy your books. And it's interesting to me that it's gotten. And first, Kickstarter got a lot of bad publicity because of people not fulfilling their Kickstarters. Um, you know, Sullivan Sluggers being kind of the poster child in comics for that. Uh, 
but you know, especially in technology ones, that happens all the time. People wait years and years now for for some of those um, technology things because the manufacturing screws up, whatever. But but so basically, at first Kickstarter had this got this kind of black eye from the people that weren't fulfilling their projects. Um, but now I feel like um, <coughs> Tony Harris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now it seems like it's kind of here to stay as a, as a, as a, like I really thought that it was going to be a bubble that would burst, but it seems to be pretty consistent now um, as like a viable way to raise money for your, for your Kickstarter, but, or for your book. But the big thing that, that people talk about a lot now is whether you should be allowed to do Kickstarter, whether, whether you're, you're too famous, you know, or you have, you have access Fuck to the that. funds yourself, you know, That's which crazy. I think is insane. You know, the whole Archie thing, um, you know, and they, they suspended their campaign because of all the negative press. Um, uh, and then what was it? Was it, was it drawn in quarterly, which it was some indie publisher, Fanographics or fanographics? It was fanographics that funded uh, like a year's worth of books or something like that through it. And there was negative press over that. And then, um, you know, the way I see it is that if you don't want to back it, don't back it. It really doesn't matter. I mean, it, 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 you are, it's a way to connect directly with your fans. So if people really like Archie books, they can pay for Archie books ahead of time. And I don't see any problem with that. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think in 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 all things, it's it's caveat emptor, right? I mean, so I think, um, but but I, I will say that I, I also think by that token, if someone is going to put themselves out there and asking for 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 financial backing, they should be prepared for honest critique. I mean, I, I've been very vocal both in support of many Kickstarter campaigns, as you know, and also very vocal uh, in, in, uh, as an adversary to some, not, not most recently the Archie campaign. And again, I have no issue if people wanted to back Archie, but I do think it's certainly incumbent upon people like us who have a, an audience and, and some, you know, some, some measure of, of reach to make the case of when I think interests are misaligned. And in the case of Archie or some of the more ostentatious campaigns that have come and gone, um, I, I struggle with why, I view Kickstarter as an engine for patronage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the sense that it, it, in its in its purest sense, the things that I like to back are things that are by creators who I either already know I love their work or have crafted a campaign that I'm intrigued by what I see, and I also get the sense that by doing so, I'm supporting them in a way they couldn't do do for themselves otherwise. Um, now, again, everyone has their own criteria for what they back or how they back things, but that's always been the thing that excited me the most. So when Archie, who by all accounts is doing quite well financially is trying to pre-sell something that we know for a fact, they're going to be able to then solicit through both the the direct market and the indirect market for profit. I struggle with why I should help a corporation out. But to your point, if it got, if it got funded, it got funded. And I, I think that's, so the issue to me is totally fine with anyone trying to get something funded that they want to get funded and it's ultimately up to the buyer to make their own decision. But I do think that some things don't don't smell kosher to me. And I think having a for-profit company backing something that they should be able to fund themselves bothers me. Um, uh, so, but, in, why, in, but, but why is it why is that any different than you paying to buy it at a store? Because you you're getting the same product, and you would assume it would be the same price. Uh, uh, well, because I I feel as though they are taking the the 
they are asking fans to take on the financial risk. Essentially, it it, it allows Archie to, then, in the, in a specific case, to basically become um, a free rider. They were guaranteed profit margin at that point. You know, one of the things that most publishers have outside of Image is they take risk, right? They have to they have to decide to print a book and publish a book and pay you all page rates as the creators, and they're running the risk that that book won't be successful enough and they'll lose money on it. And right. as a, as a return for taking on that risk. If they hit on it, they get they get incremental profit. And when you're when you're pre-selling a book that hasn't even been solicited or created yet, you're effectively guaranteeing yourself some measure of margin. Ergo, uh, you you have absolutely no downside. There's no risk. And I think, to me, I don't want to help a corporation that's already reasonably successful make riskless profit. Um, so that's just and again, that's just my that that's sort of my line in the sand. I I, I am not a fan of 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 that kind of model, and I will say to be fair, um, one thing I think that's a lot different with Kickstarter now than what it was a bunch of years ago. Like say when when we hosted that that Kickstarter panel at C2E2, which we were, you were a part of, um, you know, it's become an engine where so many of the successfully backed Kickstarter books end up being picked up by other publishers and solicited in previews later. And so that has admittedly taken a little bit of the taste away from me for backing certain things because. Yeah, I would if, think so. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, like, I got mad love for you. So I, I'll gladly back your thing for 25 bucks because I want to see it made and it helps you directly. But if I don't know you personally and it looks cool, I may be thinking to myself, like, well, okay, but if this then gets picked up by Dark Horse, I'm going to be able to buy it on previews for 17 bucks. So do I like it enough to want to spend an extra 20, 30% markup to help it get made? In some cases, the answer to that is yes. In other cases, it's like, oh, wait, you know, if the thing gets backed, uh, and, and it comes to, to previews in a few months, I might buy it. So it's, again, this is just personal preference. There's no right or wrong here, but for me, I think I probably used to back 30, 40 things a year, and now I back maybe eight to 10. So my hmm. backing, it's become more stringent, and that's just largely because I think, I really want to back things that I'm a super excited about and B that I think directly help people that I want to see succeed, you know? Right. Well, see the thing, the thing is with, um, people doing Kickstarters for books and then having them come out through, um, publishers, there's, there's like two different angles to that. Like there are some, there are some people that will fund it through Kickstarter. And then that exact same book that was on Kickstarter then gets solicited through diamond. Um, Uh, using a publisher. And that, you know, I mean, it is what it is. If you want the book, you want the book. If you don't, you don't. Uh, you know, the publishers don't really offer much. You know, they're not really doing much. Um, and, and most, most publishers of graphic novels don't give you much money at all. Like, all, like very, very little, mm-hmm. uh, up front. Um, and so you're really not gaining too much from those. Uh, okay. you know, you know, the, when I, when I did my hardcover and it, I was aware that it was selling out, that's when I approached Image because, uh, I didn't want that material to be sold out forever. And there wasn't going to be, uh, you know, I wasn't going to front, t- you know, $10,000 to do another print run because that risk would have been so enormous. What if people stopped buying it? You know, right, um, right. so. So that's, you know, so that's what some people do. And that like this, the soft cover edition was, was a way of keeping it alive and keeping it in stores, um, and keeping people to be able to buy it. Um, cause you know, at this point I've sold like 7,000 of the soft covers, 
uh, and then I sold 2,500 of the hardcover. Um, but you know, the, I think I'm, I think I've made about 50 times as much off that hardcover than I have the image trade. Um, because I've made almost no money off of that, uh, which is just kind of the reality of, um, of trades is that if you don't really hit a high enough number to get a big enough print run, you, you, you take the profit that you get from one edition and you, you spend that to print the second printing. And it's like a repeating cycle that goes on forever and ever and ever. And you can get trapped in this uh, world of you're selling a lot of books, but you're not making any money. Um, which is why doing Kickstarter is such a better idea. You know, like if, like I, I pitched Blast Furnace to Dark Horse. Um, they seemed interested and then, uh, you know, after a while they rejected it, but, um, what they were offering, uh, uh, you know, was, was pretty minuscule, um, because it is, it is a small industry where there's not much money, um, and it's tough for them to take those risks, uh, which is, which is why, like, like you know, the, the Archie thing to me, I, you know, I, I still see that as, as being valid. Uh, the risk is actually not huge in single issues. Um, because obviously you get your pre-orders, uh, and your final orders from stores, and then you can print according to what your orders are. So that helps minimize the risk. But what that also does is it makes things sell out faster, um, which is always a bad thing when something sells out. Um, so yeah, so there's like, there's, there's lots of different ways to go about it, lots of different ways to think about it. But, um, you know, for, for me, uh, as long as the as long as the person that's producing a Kickstarter puts in a ton of the work ahead of time to really validate uh, people spending money and, and putting their faith in you, um, you know I don't I don't see that any different than if they have the same book that's being pub- put out by a publisher. And in fact, it's a better thing for them if you like the creator because the creator will get more money and more of a profit um, from from doing that book directly to you than. You know, going through a publisher, then going through Diamond, which takes a huge chunk, and then stores that buy it for like 50% off. So when, you know, the, the percentage you can make as a creator, uh, is so small by doing like an OGN at a big company than it would be doing it through Kickstarter, where you have, you know, direct like hand to hand, you know, uh, commerce with the book. Um, and I think a lot of people see it as being, some sort of like almost greed um, with Kickstarter. Uh, people see the amount of money you raise, and then it, that kind of there's they it feels like there's a transparency to them that they know how much money you're making off of your book, um, and then people uh, want you to add more to the book to really justify um, all the money that you're making, um, which is a really strange thing because. Uh, you know, for me with Blast Furnace, $15,000 is what I asked for. And that, that covered everything. Um, you know, the printing, the shipping, the percentage from Kickstarter, um, the shipping supplies and, uh, paying my color flatter who is assisting me on it. So that, so if I got the book funded, I made $0. Um, so there was no, there was no, I put no mechanic in there that was paying me for my time. And Can so. I just- can I, before you go on, can I, so let, let's, let's talk about that for a second. So what, I mean, obviously we're past that. You've, you've, you got funded in eight hours. You're well past your initial mark. So hopefully you will make some money, but, but why, 
why set the campaign up such that if it just met its goal, you'd essentially break even? I mean, is it just that important to get the work out there? Or did you count on, like you said, having enough copies at cons and stuff such that you were sure that you'd make some kind of incremental money after the fact? Because, you know, I mean, again, this is still a lot of work and a lot of blood, sweat and tears and a lot of passion to ultimately to set yourself up where, you know, a, 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 a successful campaign could have meant you made nothing like that. That seems somewhat counterintuitive right. to a yeah. capitalist like me, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the the whole uh, publishing industry of comics is completely backwards, <laughs> you know, in terms of people actually making money for their work. Uh, I mean, for me, the psychology of Kickstarters is if you have a manageable goal, people are more... Um, uh, more sus- susceptible to wanting to be involved because they think that it's a, like a cause that could actually happen. Um, and so, I mean, I could have asked for $30,000 so that I would, you know, I don't know, make like six to $7,000 for my, you know, months and months and months and months and months and months and months of work. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which, you know, it seems kind of, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's only worth it because it's fun, you know, because this is what I want to do. These are the comics I want to make, the stories I want to tell. Um, you know, you don't find, you, well, you rarely find someone who gets into comics because they just want to make a bunch of money. You know, it's because you, I mean, I, I just want to have enough money to continue to make the comics that I want to make. Uh, so when I have this print run that's entirely paid for through the pre-orders on Kickstarter, uh, when I sell a $20 book at a comic show, I make 20 bucks. Um, you know, it's a unit that I lose. So I get one step closer to selling out and then selling out is, I mean, that's really the, the, the demon, you know, because you're not, that's, you're not going to run another Kickstarter to do a, do a second printing, you know? Um, and it's going to be really tough for me to dig, you know, $15,000 out of my, out of my savings to, to do another printing, you know? Uh, which, which again would just set me back into the negative on the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's <laughs> every single Kickstarter and, and, and this entire career of making comics is, is keeping myself afloat so that I have enough books in circulation. Cause eventually those God hates astronauts trades, I'm going to start hopefully turning a profit on them. Um, and then if I have other trades out there and, uh, you know, the things stay in print, you can, you can start piling up on things. And if people like your work, they're going to buy, um, multiple things in your catalog. And, um, you know, that's, that's, I'm taking, I take this kind of different route than most people that I know. Um, and that most people I know just get work for higher jobs that pay well and go work for Marvel and DC and um, get big followings. And then they sit at cons and do sketches the entire time and sell prints. Uh, but I lug two 50 pound suitcases to every show filled with books uh, to try and sell my way, uh, you know, to, to like to some sort of profit and then uh, lighter travel on the way home. Mm-hmm. Right. From where I sit, you, you occupy a really unique position in the industry because I think your your biggest weakness is your greatest strength. And I'll, I'll tell you what I, what I mean by that. Okay. You know what it, you know what it's like at Marvel and DC and 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 a lot of other publishers when when a book is is ushered into a line that isn't in line with the status quo. Like you've seen it, like a DC book will get published and it's nothing like. 
the the typical DC book like like Perez or or or, or something along along those lines. People are afraid of it. They're, they're, they're hesitant to read it. Um, it's it's new, which scares people, and and it doesn't it doesn't slide into the status quo very easily. And I think that, in a nutshell, is is your entire approach to comics. You, yeah. you no, seriously, you 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 have an absurdist slant, not not mm-hmm. only to your humor, which is very absurd, but but even your design sense, like to take a tiger and a cheeseburger. And smash them together and make this totally unique character that, that is, is that your approach is so idiosyncratic and so unique that I think your biggest challenge is getting your work in front of people. Once someone oh, opens yeah. the book, oh, yeah. yeah, just once someone opens the books and, and gets about 10, 15 pages into it and sees the remarkable rendering style you have and, and I, think even more remarkable is your design sense and your humor you completely enamor the reader at least from my standpoint so i think once you get the books into those hands and you're smart for for doing this the the kickstarter with the the overprinting and and having books to convert in a sense more people is that once they get indoctrinated and i'm really long-winded on this into the the ryan brown universe i don't think they're going to leave yeah the the people that the people that like my stuff really like it. It's um, because it's great, it, and it's so unique. Yeah, it's. I mean, it. It's certainly not for everyone, um, which is something that I am absolutely fine with, um, because that's. I mean, that. That's what I. I do so much referential stuff that it can't possibly be for everyone because not everyone's going to get the joke. Right. Uh, yeah. I, my entire comics career is a blowback from the seven or eight years that I tried to get a job being a penciler in Marvel or DC. Um, mm. Spending all this time doing pencil submissions of Batman beating up some muggers or, you know, Spider-Man swinging around and, you know, fighting Doc Ock or something. Um, just, just, I just got to this point where I was just really fed up with how serious all this stuff was because, because it shouldn't be serious. I mean, it's the concepts between so many superheroes are so ridiculous. And when Mm -hmm. the bent is going closer and closer and closer to, these are all have to be real people with real problems and it's all got to be really serious. It loses a lot of the joy for me. Um, and the amount of superhero books that I was reading just was really getting cut down significantly because I just was, I just was, I just couldn't take it seriously anymore. Um, and so I, I just started making the comics that I wanted to make, which were just comics that were referencing indie books from the late eighties and early nineties, which is where I've always felt like my books belong. Um, and in the time that I've been doing this, the, the, the kind of audience for this kind of stuff has, has increased. Um, you know, a lot of the people that have, that have come in and, and have, uh, been reading comics that aren't interested in superhero stuff seem to be more open to uh, new ideas and um, silliness and um, crazy imaginative stuff. Uh, so that seems to be where I'm kind of finding my uh, my market. But but again, like with my stuff, my stuff is 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 off kilter. It's weird. It's tough to explain. It is tough to um, really get it unless you read it. Uh, so that meant with the God Hates Astronaut series through Image, uh, you know, so series like that live and die 
by the comic store employee and the the, the shop owner. Um, and, you know, there were some stores that had over 50 subscribers to my book. And then there was tons of stores that got zero copies of my book. Um, because, you know, I don't really have a big name and, you know, you know, it takes some effort to read it and figure out what the hell this is. You know, it's not like an easy, um, my stuff is never really easy to, to have like an elevator pitch for. Um, I think there's certainly an audience out there for it because when you look at, uh, the adult swim stuff, I I think, I think God, God hates astronauts is, is perfectly in line with, with that kind of, of, of humor and just the presentation, um, and, and the, the, the thing that, that won my heart over, it, it, the authenticity is there. It does not feel forced. It doesn't feel like you're saying, well, I'm just going to be as weird as I possibly can. It just feels like you're being yourself on the page. Yeah. Well, thanks. That, that's a big thing for me. I feel like forced silliness is very, uh, heavy handed and, and, and your audience can tell. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's always something that I strive for. Well, and you know, we, yeah. we've talked about this, Ryan. I mean, you, you mentioned that, that your stuff isn't for everyone. And, and I've always said that, that it's, it's a, it, comedy is much more subjective, I think, than, sure. than other, t- because again, there, there are movies that I may think are uproarious and, and Dab and Vincent yourself may think suck and vice versa. It's just, you know, no, I mean, no, I mean, comedy just hits people in a different way, right? It's just, it's right. just, it's yeah. true. Oh, yeah. Whereas, whereas a good drama is going to draw in, a lot more people that happen to like traumas because it's more straightforward. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to play on someone's personal sensibilities. So, um, I, so I think that's the right way to look at it. But, but I also have to say that in, in, in recognition of that, um, you know, it, it's still like, I, I think there are lots of funny people in the world, but I don't know how many are able to like be funny, like, on paper and, and somehow you're able to do that. Like for those that don't know you personally, you're, you're a funny individual like to be around. You're generally, you're a, you're a funny dude. But, but again, there's lots of funny dudes that can't be funny like when they're producing work. So, I mean, do you like, do you crack, do you try and crack yourself up? Like, do you have a litmus test? Like, do, do you let your wife see it? And if she thinks it's funny, you know, it's funny. Do you let her see it? And if she thinks it's corny, you know, it's funny. Like, well, how do you like, or do you just trust that you're, you're, do you just try and entertain yourself and just hope that there's enough of an audience that has your same sensibility or do you have a way, an, another way of measuring whether or not you think like a joke hits? Um, it's all me. It's all, it's all making myself laugh. Um, and, uh, especially with this new, the new image series, um, I was very nervous that there was going to be so many new people that were going to be reading it. People that were just like, I buy every image book that comes out, you know, like, because there's tons of people who say that. Um, and those people don't necessarily have a sense of humor or have my sense of humor. Um, but I just decided that what had worked for me in the past was to make myself laugh. And I mean, maybe, maybe not that the book is self-serving, but it is me making the comic that I want to read. Um, you know, the type of comic that I would enjoy to read, you know, that, that I wish someone else would make so that I could read it. Um, you know, and, and so much of it is references to things that, that, that I love, movies that I love particularly, and TV shows, um, and taking snips of humor from those places and, and putting them together with my own spin on them. Um, 
you know, it's it's a really weird thing, comedy and comics, because if you're talking to someone and you tell them a joke, uh, you know right away if it worked or not. But in, in comics, you uh, work on it, and two months later, the issue comes out, and then you don't know if anyone thought it was funny, and then three months later, maybe you do a show, and someone says, I really like this one joke you did in this one issue, and you're like, ah, oh, the punchline worked. <laughs> I found out five months later that my joke was funny. Uh, so it's really, you have to have like this level of faith. Uh, and, and, and I, I take a lot of pride that people that come up and, and tell me their favorite parts, um, are very varied in terms of the parts that they think that are their favorite parts. And, uh, that, that is what really makes me feel good, makes me feel happy that, um, in a sense, I'm just recycling one or two jokes over and over again. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but people aren't really picking up on that. So, uh, I'm just going to go with it for, for as long as I can. It's like time re- released humor, yeah. but I, I think it's really dangerous to try and anticipate the audience reaction. Yeah. Cause, cause then you're writing for a specific, there's an agenda to, to the humor and then it ultimately, I think it, it'll feel forced if you just let it all hang out and do the comics, make the comics that you want to make with the, you know, I think there, there's a, like I said, an authenticity to it that is impossible to duplicate. And it just, it just works. That's when, that's when it, the, the comics like sing. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that that's definitely, um, the, the authenticity, like, really, you can tell when something is forced. Whether you know you can tell it, you can just, most people can get a sense of if something is, is, is trying to be something it's not, um, or trying to push it in this direction just to get the specific reaction from, from its audience. Um, and, you know, I'm my, I'm my audience. I'm trying to get the reaction on myself, maybe. Um, so many of my ideas are just things I think up when I'm lying in bed or in the shower or out running or something, um, you know, that are like, you know, lots of aha moments where it's like, oh yeah, that guy just lost his head and I got another character that's only a head. So what if they <laughs> merged into one character, which was just completely unplanned and I didn't have think it out until like two, two or three pages before it actually happened. Um, like I think, I think with Blast Furnace, I think hi- highlights my best skills as a, as a, as a storyteller. Um, and that's my ability to come up with stuff and my ability to communicate it clearly and my ability to make it all c- connect in some way. Um, which is, you do you have know, a gift. Yeah. It's, it, that's the one thing I'm really good at. Like I can't, if you wanted me to write a serious conversation between two characters, it would be terrible. Even if you wanted me to write an essay, it would still be really terrible. Um, you know, I can barely read, but I have written a bunch of books. So it's like a really, it's a really weird <laughs> thing to, to say that. Um, but I, I think that, that my, my strongest skill is not as a draftsman, but as a, as a, as a person that can, uh, think, think on my feet and come up with, with story threads and, and, and conclusions and, um, new scenarios that have a lot of promise for, for other ideas. Uh, which is why I think Blast Furnace, people that like Blast Furnace, uh, or who have read it, most of them like it more than God Hates Astronauts. Um, and I think it, it could be because of the fact that it's kind of, it's more, it's even more personal because it's completely unfiltered, um, because there is no editing process and it is, 
Um, you know, there definitely are jokes in there that are, that are thrown out there knowing that they don't really work and knowing that they're, they're stupid, but they're presented maybe with like a wink that, that I'm in on it, that I, that I know that this is a, a, a stupid idea. Right. You mentioned late, um, eighties, early nineties. I, I look back on that time so fondly because, uh, for those who don't know, that was the, the time of the black and white boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ushered, ushered in by the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. When, when Eastman and Laird hit big, the floodgates opened and black and white printing was relatively cheap. And so everybody and their brothers, we're making comics and yes the majority of the comics were bad but it was a an anything goes kind of time where the possibilities were i mean the stars were the limit you saw books about uh naturally the the turtles ripoffs you you had hamsters you know yeah yeah, hamsters and kangaroos and and everything but we also got elf warrior from that period and grendel and and there was a, a a ton of of books that were just out there because people were just trying stuff. It was cheap. People were buying books, and of course, the human nature kicked in, and, and the greed. Uh, it just got to be untenable, and comic shops weren't buying everything like they were. Sure. But for for at least a good couple of years, I mean, it was a great time. There was just like create creatively too, because anything anything goes or anything went. Because it was in the past, but and I, and I think um, Blast Furnace and God Hates Astronauts would have been perfectly um, acceptable in that time. It would have fit in very well because it's unique and different, and and rubs it scratches a different itch that people didn't even know they had, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Whoever thought that book would take off like it did? I know it was it's just crazy. a Daredevil parody. It's incredible. Yeah. It's like, it is and incredible. then. It is. And then you had Mark Martin with his Dare Rat stuff, which was in a sense a parody of a parody. Mm-hmm. But even, even, I mean, he made bank on that too. The stuff was everywhere. Yeah. And uh, all because the big two were stagnant for a bunch of years and people were just like, F this, let's, let's publish something different and exciting and yeah. make a lot of money. Yeah. It would, I mean, that's, that's the other thing is working with Kickstarter, um, I don't have to pitch anything to anyone. I don't have yep. to get it approved. And I'm at this point in my career where it's still impossible for me to get things improved, approved. Uh, I still haven't figured out a way that I've, you know, like it just, you know, comics, comics work so slowly and you have to come up with this pitch and put all this work into it and then you have to submit it and then maybe wait three to six to eight months before you hear anything back. And it's just, then you've got to like slowly start to develop it and it's just, it definitely, like, I pitched some stuff since God Hates Astronauts, and it was all rejected. And then I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to do this book myself. Uh, and so that's why I was like, I'm just going to go back to Kickstarter, and I don't have to pitch anything to anybody. Uh, right. You know, I can sh- throw the book out there to the people that I want to read it, and they can they can vote yay or nay with, with their pre-orders. Um, and it just, like, to me... You know, God Hates Astronauts was hard work. And then Blast Furnace is like a vacation to me because it is so just doing exactly what I want to do and not really taking anything too seriously. And, and you know, the art style, nothing is too precious or overworked or overly crafted. Um, it's just it's just fun, fun stories. Um, 
And, you know, that's kind of liberating when you deal with an industry that has such little money that uh, there has to be this intense vetting process to make sure that they want to invest the money in publishing this book and they think that they can sell. And it's got to be, you know, have some sort of precedent out there of a book that's similar or, you know, they target, you know, what your books did before to get an idea of this is going to sell. And then eventually you hear back and then you put all this work in this idea and you, you find out that no one will publish it. Um, so that's another, like, amazing thing about Kickstarter. It's just... Like I can, I can self-publish and I'm not, I'm not mortgaging my house, you know, taking on a second mortgage on my house. Like it's, um, it's like people, people are legitimately voting with their interest, uh, to make it happen. And that is, is, uh, like an exciting process, uh, a stressful process, no doubt. These 30 days are extremely stressful, but, um, but, but really exciting nonetheless. Have you tried the naked pitch? Because I, I heard that works kind of well. The naked pitch? Yeah, pitch naked. Bring the go to the publishers and just be naked. Okay, they'll they'll remember you. They will remember me. Well, I don't have a problem with them remembering me. It's just trusting, having people trust that that someone's going to enjoy my weird idea. Because I'm <laughs> I'm not I'm not pitching I'm not pitching great crime dramas. I'm pitching totally ludicrous stuff. You know, <laughs> <laughs> naked. Oh my goodness. It's, uh, I'm toying with the, uh, the idea of Kickstarter. It just seems like the, the ones that do it well, do it amazingly well. And, and I'd be up just, cause I don't, you know, there's a certain, admi- uh, component of walking the walk you have to do. Yeah, you'd have to commit and, and, to and, 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 yeah, no, and I, I, I just, I struggle with the, the, getting up there and telling people why they should buy it. Why is it great? Yeah. Or, or That's why tough. could it, why could it be great? Yeah, because no one likes to pimp, push their own Get stuff. Get Mike yeah, Norton to do your video. Yeah, that's right. Well, there's an, a naked Mike Norton. Yeah, that is a really uh, aspect that I don't like, of course, with Kickstarter is is the constant promotion and the constant pushing into people's faces. Um, As you appear on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to, right? I mean, I like, I like doing your podcast and I like talking about this stuff. Um, but you have to schedule these things that happen while your Kickstarter is happening. Um, because it, it puts eyeballs on it. And it, it's, it's weird because I like, I had, like, I tweet out about it like about once a day. And I, I, you know, I know that it's annoying to people that backed it 20 days ago to still yeah. be hearing about you should back this book when they already have. Uh, but consistently, like yesterday, uh, someone backed it and they messaged me, uh, that they uh, didn't know this was going on and they're glad they got it in time. And it's like, well, uh, I've done all the promotion that I physically can over the last 22 days. And, and still there's going to be tons of people that would normally like reading my stuff that are going to miss out. Um, which, well, you'll get another million, million and a half after this show. Yeah, right? you think so? Cause, I would oh, think. I mean, it, unless our listeners least. are starting to get slack. <laughs> I mean, he's got six days to go, so. <laughs> well, if you buy the book on Kickstarter and you don't like it, you can, um, I was going to say you could punch me in the face at a show, but I feel no. like that would be bad. Uh, Especially if the next show is New York. It's, right. That's kind of a verbal contract, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you don't want that. If you don't like it, you can, you can, you can return it to me at a show. How about that? Or you can punch David in the face. Yeah, how about that? There, now we're talking. 
<laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody puts David in the corner. <laughs> or punches him in the face. It's amazing how you can get drunk off seltzer, Vince. <laughs> Hilarious. I didn't say there was anything in it. I know. <laughs> but anyway. So, um, let's, let's talk more about comics. Okay. Ryan, do you have anything on your mind in, in regard to anything about comics? Producing comics? Making comics? Anything? Reading comics? No- There's another one. Reading comics. Aside from your own work, what do you enjoy? Crickets. Oh, I hear you. Hello? Can you hear me? <laughs> hey. Yes. Did you, did you get disconnected or I, cut off? Nothing, a bit nothing there? happened. You just, um, you turned into a, a robot voice and then, uh, it was silent. Oh, hey now. I wish I could have heard that. No, you sounded really cool. Sounded hot. What are you grooving? <laughs> what are you grooving on lately? What am I, what am I reading? Yes. Uh, I am rereading Akira right now. Really? Oh, nice. I haven't read it since college and, uh, I was drawing something that required a lot of rubble, and I was like, I'm going to look at this Sakura book, uh, and that turned into rereading the whole thing. Uh, oh, my God. Guys, I forget. Have we talked about Akira on the show? I don't think we have, so. We have not. Oh, man. We need to We need to maybe do that in year nine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it on the, uh, on the way back from Chicago. I'm sure we've all read it, right? Oh, hells yeah. David? A long, long time ago. Yeah, but you did. Okay. It's all good, though. It's amazing that that actually uh, those lines actually came from human hands. It's unbelievable, and I I don't know how many assistants he had, but it still doesn't matter. They were still You're drawing right. was, it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was I was just gonna say that it really doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, the, um, the zip the zip tone use is 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 otherworldly. I I cannot understand. <laughs> how that book was made. I really, I look at it and it just makes no me tangents wanna... either, right? No, never, never. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and it, just go study refrigeration or something. It's just like, it's a book that's just so <laughs> like, I don't know how the hell you can, you can possibly do this as a human being. And I bow down to your excellence and I will just look at it and, and just be in awe. It is crazy yeah. how good that book is. And, and I think the frosting on the periscope is that it was done in a time when the computer assistance was minimal yeah, at exactly. best. Probably. That's what makes Probably. it so crazy. Yeah. 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 I just, I, I don't, I don't understand it. It just seems, it seems insane to me. That's one of those. There's a few books that seem, I like I cannot bend my brain around how it was made, and that is that is that is one of them for sure. What's another one? Um, hard boiled, hard boiled is. Uh, <laughs> oh no, yes, why not? Oh, you're right. You're right. I don't understand. It's... Just the scene in the in the the city dump alone. That's that's told entirely through uh, splash pages, and it just slowly moves, panning every page slowly is panning through a dump, uh, following the action of the scene. And so there's just like you know there's like a a beat up old refrigerator that appears in like eight of the pages that he just has to redraw from basically the same angle over and over again. I mean it's just it's nuts. I just don't mm-hmm. I don't even understand why this was done. <laughs> have you ever spoken to Daryl? Oh yeah, we're friends. And it, it, another thing that really um, makes me laugh is that he doesn't consider himself all that good. Uh, that drives me crazy. 
it is. Like, I know. I, Dude, and, his, and you have his art is crazy cheap for the fact that this Jeff Darrow. Like, how many dudes like hold court at a con, right? Where, where you know, look at a con at Artist Alley, everybody's doing their thing, different levels of ego. But I would say that Darrow is one of a half dozen guys that's at a regular at cons, but that also is someone that almost every other artist sitting in the con has reverence for, mm-hmm. and you would never know it. Like he would never, you would never know he knows, like he has no, it's like he has no awareness of that. If it's an act, he's really good. Agreed. You know, I mean, there, there's a chance that he's just, you know, he's doing a Buddhist, it. He's right? I don't know. I think he is. I'm not sure. But I think I would vote him the best, uh, number one illustrating Buddhist. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, he's you get the award. Yeah, he's death, he's he's a sensitive guy for sure. Um Yeah, but the whole He likes guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the whole thing I just I, I don't know <laughs> when when someone just can't accept how great their stuff is yeah. it, at at a point it goes beyond humbleness to just f- frustrating um aisle, <laughs> right? I mean, it just really it makes you wonder. I know it's awkward to accept compliments uh, for a lot of us in the industry, but eventually you just kind of say thank you and and uh, change the subject, right? I mean, you know, being argumentative about it is is such a weird <laughs> defense for it. Yep, it's true. Well, how about everybody else, Jason? What do you got? What have I been reading? Um, you know, uh, I read something that you guys talked about two, three weeks ago, maybe. Um, finally, which is, uh, um, the, uh, Captain Britain and the, and the Defenders joint. Mighty Defenders. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. And you all knew I would be up on that eventually because it's Alan Davis. Uh, which yes. is my dog. With Mark Farmer Inks. And I think, I think, I think Davis Farmer is the, is the, is the right combo. Um, and it was, um, Al Ewing wrote it, right? The guy who's doing the, um, or who did. Yeah. The, Al Ewing. Uh, the guy who did Mighty Avengers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, like I get the wink, wink. I know Vince, you were very excited about it being uh, Judge Dread homage. Yes, and that is cool. But if I'm being real, I I, I think the story's almost throwaway. Like I feel like we've had the story a million times. But but that being said, you give me some Alan Davis art, and I'm all up in it. Right, I, I definitely think that's where the joy lies yeah. in, in the Davison Farmer art. But I mean, it's um, fun. Like it's it's not. I don't, I don't mean to say I didn't like this story, but it's just, it's a little bit formulaic. And part of that is that this is what the, probably the 30th Secret Wars tie-in that I've read. And it's only so many times where you can get the whole setup again of, of Emperor God Doom and, and, and there's this world and there's the, there's the, either the sheriff or the governor or whatever they call them. And, 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 you know, something goes wrong and it's, it's largely, it, like it's happened so often because every book sets up the same premise that it feels a little tired, even though that's not a critic. In other words, if I had read this book first of all the Secret Wars tie-ins, I probably wouldn't feel that way. But since it's like 30th of the tie-ins that I've read, I feel that way. So it's totally not fair to really hold that against the book because that's the lot that they were drawn. But, um, but there were nuances about it. I dug, like I loved that the She-Hulk was the Thor of this world, but also instead of having Mjolnir, she has a little gavel. Yes, yes, because she is, is the whole yeah, look thing. Fists yeah. the, because her fists are the, are the hammers, which I, I thought was great. Um, clearly, Davis had uh, either Ewing 
was very sensitive to Davis's preferences or Davis had some role in what he got to draw because um, having the, the Muslim Captain Britain, uh, again, that's a Davis character, so I'm sure he had to have had some say in that or expressed an interest in using her. Um, so, yeah, I think, again, I, 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 it's nice to see him drawing uh, stuff that he's he seems excited about because there have been times in recent years where he's drawn stuff that I don't think he's had the joie de vivre for doing. And, and this is not that this is, this is like vintage classic Alan Davis. Like why anybody that says, I don't understand why you like him. I want to punch in the face. Kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, no. you know? I, I think there's also to be considered. And this is something that you never can really tell is how much time someone has to work on it, work on their book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes it is motivation. Sometimes it's, this is the gig that I got that's going to pay the bills. But other times it's, um, the, you know, the turnaround is, is more intense and you don't have the time to really like plot things out. And I think that that affects the quality of art, uh, quite frequently. And there's no real way for us to know as a reader when, when someone gets their time to really work it out or when it's, I was going to have this guy draw this book and it comes out in two months and he's dropped off. So you got to start working right. on this now. Now, as a fan, though, should we give a shit about that? Uh, no, but right, but I mean, because of, I mean, you can give a shit about it, but the the nature of comics as assembly line and monthly um, means that that stuff happens. Um, yeah, and it's it's something that uh, should be maybe accepted at times more than it is um, because of uh, just the nature of the way we've learned to to consume comics. Well, I'm really torn on that one because, again, if I wasn't – if we didn't have the show and it's a very incestuous inside baseball type of industry where we knew lots of creators and we knew a lot about the process and behind the scenes, if I just was the guy I was a decade ago that just read comics and was a fan, I really don't think I would care much for whatever went on in the sense that all I'm doing is you're expecting me to pay for a book and consume sure. it and judge that book. So, like, again, I'll use um, I'll use John Romita Jr., uh, love the man. Done some of my favorite comics of all time. But if I'm being fair, more often than not in the last five to seven years, his work has not held up to the standard I think he set for himself for a bulk of his career. Now again, is that because he's trying to, he was trying for a long time to do his own book and the Marvel book each week? I mean, each month? Is that because financial considerations forced him to take on more work per act per year than he'd normally want to do? Is it because he was such a go-to guy for Marvel that they gave him more work and he didn't know how to say no? I don't know. Uh, clearly though, I'm, I've seen enough of Ramita's work to know that the Ramita I've seen, not all the time, there's been moments where he's been classic Ramita, but more often than not, I've been disappointed by Ramita in the last five years than, than, than I have for the 10 years to 15 years prior to that. And again, as a fan, I don't think I should give any shit at all about what's going on with him or Marvel and now DC that led to him looking rushed. Ultimately the work either stands up on its own or it doesn't. You know what I mean? Now right. the fact that we're inside baseball and the fact that we know a lot of you guys, we know what's goes on. I'm much more empathetic to that, but I totally understand if 95% of our listenership doesn't give a shit about what's going on in someone's life outside of what they put on the page. Right, but you're you're also you're going into it with your expectations of what you think he should be producing based on what he's done in the past. Sure. Where 
um, you know, he, he's an artist, so it's like this creative impulse for him, and sometimes your creative impulse changes, and what you want to produce, the way you want your art to look over time can, your, your style, what you think is important to focus on can, can change. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, you, you look at some artists like Frank Miller who went through many different distinct, <laughs> you know, stages in his career. I can't help but laugh. We talk about Frank Miller now because of everything. Uh, Dark Knight 3. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, oh, such a hater. <laughs> but, but go I ahead. think people go, people go through a lot of changes in their career. I certainly draw a lot different now than I did three years ago. Sure. Um, and then, you know, if people see that, you know, see what I did in Smoke and Mirrors and they, they see what I do in, in, you know, God Hates Astronauts and they might be disappointed because they were expecting me to do cleaner line and less detail and, um, you know, the stuff that I was into then. And, you know, now I find myself getting towards doing more texturing, um, which I'm sure some people won't like as much um, as, as they used to, but it's just kind of uh, as I adapt and, and, and what I'm interested in. And again, that if you're looking at it from the standpoint of entertainment and you are a person that reads this monthly comic, um, you know, it, I remember when I was like in high school and I was reading superhero books, villains would drive me crazy. I hated villains. <laughs> you know, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly understand why people couldn't get their books out on time. It didn't seem to make any sense. It still doesn't make any sense to me, but, um, <laughs> cause it's your job. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like I, you know, from an entertainment standpoint, I, it's totally valid to not give a shit about what's happening to a creator in their personal life that made their artwork different. Do you think we are more lenient with the big names? Because, um, I mean, I know. I think less so, per- actually. I see, by personal preference, if I see, um, and I haven't really, um, noticed it, but if I, if I see John Romita Jr. slipping, Chances of me buying his next project are still very good because I, I, I very, I enjoy the man's work very much. And, and that, that memory of, of the thing that enamored me to, with him in the first place continues. But if, if, if say we get a fill-in issue by someone just entering or new to the industry, I'm less likely to follow that, that, that person to another book. Based on a, a bad performance. Sure. Well, I mean, you've got you've got track record with Ramita, you know. Right. You, you, he's he's familiar. So much of comics and a lot of media is that people gravitate to what's familiar, um, you know, which is why you can just tell the same superhero stories over and over again with very little actually progressing the characters because. It sits right in the familiar zone of the book that I've read for 20, 30 years and it, and it, and it stays status quo, um, which is something that, you know, is, um, you know, big two are constantly fighting against and trying to figure out a way to, to get people excited about books without actually really changing anything. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that things have changed within the last five, six years that people are more, willing to wait for high quality art or, you know, stuff that they really geek over um, versus there's, you know, there's tons of people that are just kind of house style and jump around on books and don't really have any sort of, um, you know, distinct way of abstracting things. 
um, that those guys just kind of fill in. And I don't think people usually jump around and follow, uh, those guys around on their, on their, on their books. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, if, uh, um, if people give more leeway to the, to the good artists or not. It seems like they do because it seems like you can be super late and then your, your book still like Joe mad. If Joe mad put out a book, it would still sell really well and everyone would freak out about it. Uh, even though, you know, by issue two, he's going to be playing so many video games that he won't have, you know, finished it on time. <laughs> people do not forget, do they? <laughs> that, he, he, he's never, everyone, he's never going to live that down. Yeah. That, that is a stigma that has permanently, it's like a lamprey. It's just on his side. Yeah. He's, he's going to carry that with him his entire career. Sure. While we're on the subject. Okay. I have been doing some culling of of my uh my list of books that I get every month and for very similar reasons as as um we've been talking about as much as it pains me to say this and and everybody who knows me knows I'm creepy's probably my all-time favorite comic mm-hmm. uh magazine right next to commandy um, I, I, I grew up with Creepy. I love every page of the Warren stuff, even when it wasn't all that great. This Dark Horse Creepy, I, I can't abide anymore. I can't. And it, and, it, and it's paining me to say this. Even Eerie is, is not all that great. And it's not a case of the work being bad per se. I mean, when, when I look in the last issue I got, which was issue 21, you have big names in here. Jeff Parker's in here. Dan Braun, um, but the work is not bad per se, mm-hmm. but it doesn't live up to the work I remember. And I will flat out say that this Pete Bag stuff that they're doing in Creepy, he is not doing them any favors hmm. because his his goofy. I, yes, he is my boy, but when he does these unfunny single page strips with the various creepy family of characters uh they're not funny they're an annoying they're an annoyance really he has one two two pages in the in the latest issue and the back cover and they're ridiculous they're, the humor is juvenile it's not even horror host humor you know where you, they, they they'll transform the mundane into something creepy just by changing the words and oh, you're supposed to laugh. Right. It's not even it's not even stupid humor like that. It's just they're just bad. And and the 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 fact that Richardson uh, decides to keep this thing going within the pages of creepy makes me very willing to drop this book hmm. because because it's not it's not living up to that name on the masthead creepy mm-hmm. that. That's a hell of a pedigree. Um, yeah, eerie yeah. too. And it's just, whatever. Um, another book, and it just, it's not a, co- maybe it's a coincidence, but I don't know. Another Dark Horse book that's losing me is Dark Horse Presents. DHP. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's not for lack of, maybe it is. I don't know. When you got Jerry Ordway in your book, that gets my attention. I really like Jerry Ordway's art. Mm-hmm. This, this, this um semi automagic thing with Alex DeCampi, it's it's just not doing it for me. And I don't know why. It has all the it's it has a recipe of something that would really click with me. Not doing it. Um this this um uh what is it? The the giant monster strip. 
um, kill all monsters. That's great. That's keeping me going. But for the most part, like every once in a while, they'll get a Mike Mignola character in here and it's like, all right, I'll keep buying the book. Mignola's coming back or, or someone doing the, the Mignola verse. So I keep buying it. But by and large, like I'm throwing, it's $4.99 cover price. So whatever it is after the discount every single month. And when do you decide that it's too much? Like, wh- how do you stop buying books? That's a that's a book that I that I pick and choose, mm-hmm. like depending on what's in the content. The anthologies. I mean, I know they have some through stories that continue, but right um, anthologies. That's like the best thing about them is you don't have to buy every issue. I wonder what happens on the numbers on that book if they go up and down. Um, oh, I'm sure they do because sure if. You- if you have an Abe Sapien or a Hellboy story in it, you know the numbers are going to spike. And then it kind of like, I, I guess it would level off after that. But I, I, the completest in me wants to keep buying it because I have, what, 14 issues? I, I'm not going to buy issue 17 and issue 23. It, it, it's just, it does not compute, right? Yeah. But to, to be a realist and to say, I'm, I'm continually throwing money down this hole. And I'm not enjoying it. So I'm at that point now where I just, I, I just have to say, you're a big boy now. You can stop buying a comic when you don't <laughs> think it's very good. I mean, seriously. Breakthrough. Uh, it is a breakthrough. <laughs> and, and one, one comic that I will never stop buying, but I have to say, it's, it's got, it's getting to the point where every issue is pretty much the same as the one that preceded it. And, and that's Abe Sapien. Now, when you have the uh, Fumaras on a book, Max and um, Sebastian, it looks fantastic. No doubt. But it's the same thing every issue. Mm-hmm. Is Abe a frog creature? Is he going to usher in the apocalypse? Uh, um, he he runs away because you know he he's trying to run away from his problems, and it's the same thing every issue. Like why, why? I I don't want to be a downer. <laughs> But I, th- I think I pretty much have. So I, w- I will talk about something I bought today. I won't spill any of the beans because I know Jason hasn't read it. Probably not David. But and this is from Dark Horse. So we're on the upswing with this. Matt Kent. Who doesn't love Matt Kent? I Dude, bought the... Of course I've read it. I read it years ago. Why? This is not new? No, nah, it's a reprint, dog. Two Sisters yeah, is a reprint? <laughs> Oh damn! Been on my shelf thought... for years, dude. When was this published? Years ago. So this is the newer, newest printing of the, the two sisters. Oh man! Well, <laughs> this, this does not make for great, great podcast. Um, I, I, it's and it's a, it's a super spy graphic novel. Correct. Uh, about uh, essentially 2004, dog. <laughs> yeah, see, I th- I, it's been a while since Vince pulled the Ghost Rider. This is good. 2004 good. player. Have you ever talked about this? No, no, I don't think so. All right, because cool. I read it then before I'm... we started the show. I, I don't know that I've ever specifically talked about it. Justification. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, well, um, I can't really talk about anything about this book because all of the various um, character threads are interwoven. So if I spill the beans on one, I will have to unleash it about the whole book. Needless to say, it is the story of two sisters. Primarily one, um, who did not have a really great upbringing. Um, mother dies very young. Uh, father's not a very nice person, likes to drink. 
so there's a point in this thing where the family splits and one of the sisters, uh, L, comes to, um, Britain and it's, it's, it's during World War II. So she's, uh, gets involved with a spy organization and, and has to do some things that, um, basically it shows what the Allied forces would do to, to overcome, uh, the Germans. And a lot of it's not pretty. But like I said, all of these different storylines, they, they're all intertwined. So if, if you know something about one character, it's, it's gonna spill the beans on another. But it's great! And, and it's 300 pages and I read it in like an hour, hour and 10 minutes. It's, it's the, the Fury Road. There's not a whole hell of a lot of dialogue in it. But, all of the characterization comes out of what these, these uh, individuals do and how they react and what they find value in and it's amazing it's just a, another reminder why i think kent is is up there in in terms of uh writers i think he's he's fantastic he makes you think he'll do something on page three that plays out at the end of the book and you never see it coming how is that possible well talent right he's so Plan- good lots of planning it's good you could tell that he had a, a notebook there's even like a um, uh, uh, cryptography. There, there's a um, a list in here where there's messages within the the comic, and you have no idea what they say unless you check the the key to see what is actually being what kind of message is actually being passed. Or they use dead drops in, right. in this too. It's it's very cool. But I know he he probably has some kind of notebook where he has everything like like Reed's thinking room. Everything's on the wall and it's all planned out and there's lines going to every different points like a like a it's so intricate, but it it's it's an eff, it's effortless to read. And then when it clicks, you're just like, damn, you you really have this sussed out, don't you? No. And I love doubt. And I loved it. It's through like I said, 300 pages. Uh, cover price is very affordable. It's like twenty seven ninety nine. It's crazy cheap. Crazy, crazy it's, it's cheap. Oversized hardcover. Good stuff from Matt Kent. Oh sure. That's that's redundant. It is, especially when you, you say um, <laughs> Ninjack. <laughs> <laughs> what a great book. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> What was what? David, David, do you want to talk about something? Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I just, I just had all the stuff in my mouth. I know. I I've been, I've diarrhea of the mouth over here. It's been nonstop. Why would I, why would I step all over the guest? I'm, I'm very interested in, in what Ryan has to say about it. So I'm going to let him roll with it. Um, the, uh, I did read from last week. Uh, I read Star of Number Four. Yes. What'd you think? Uh, it didn't have the same impact as the first three issues, but I did. Damn, haters gonna hate. Yeah, because that's that's what you took I'm on that. Fucking with you, dude. I relax. know. I know. What you're about. <laughs> um, it it. Moves the story along. I have no problem with that. It, it's, I think it's, um, and it's, you know, I mean, the whole concept of this particular challenge is this, this, this reality show, this competition show is, is already off kilter. I, I don't see why I wouldn't be, um, 
having them actually have having them actually fight a kitchen staff to take over the kitchen should be so um far fetched but it did kind of um slow it down a bit for me it did it it, it did not have the same momentum that the first reissues had um I'm hoping that, and, and it was immediately apparent with the first page because this is telling you issue four is the start of a new chapter. Um, even the opening page is, is somewhat different than, than the first three issues. So it, it, it has a different feel to it. I'm curious to see what the, um, if the first image trade is going to be three issues or if they're going to have two arcs in it or, or split it depending on how the stories break down. But, um, the uh it 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 looked great i mean art was the same it's um i think and unless i'm mistaken about the first three issues it looks like they um they've te- they've tweaked the uh the credits or, or or the created the creators for the issue um it's still it still would and um And, and, and legend and the, uh, but then you also, now they're adding Dave Stewart and they're making sure that, uh, that Steve Wands get, gets credited as, as letterer. And I, I didn't go back to see if the first three issues were, uh, were broken down in a similar way, but it, it still, it still starve. It's still the, the book that, you know, we've been reading for the past three issues. Um, I'm just not real sure about this. Um, this new arc. Uh, I'll I'll see. Where, I'm I'm not going to stop reading it, but I'll see where the second issue, the second part of this arc goes, and uh, and see if they kind of, I guess, get back on track in my mind. But I um, I dug it. It it's still still a good book. It just felt different than the first three. Well, you know what? I am with you in the first half of the book uh, because you're right. Like they, it, it went away from just being a really hard cooking competition, but I guess for me, uh, it pulled itself out of the downward spiral by the end, which is, you know, they, they, they win the, or they win or keep the restaurant and then they have 12 minutes left and then he, he, he bangs out the octopus or the squid. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I kind of got back to that cause you know, they're talking about the umami flavor and mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just so like, I feel like it finished on the note on the same note that we, I'd agree with that. So much yeah, with the first three. So, but I'm, I'm with focused. you. Like, I, I don't want this to devolve into like where they're fucking dropping mortar shells and shit to fucking on each other. You know, like, I, I agree. I don't want this to turn into Mad Max beyond, beyond, uh, you know, Iron Chef. Uh, right. But, but, uh, but yeah, but I, I really, I still think that, that, that so far this is one of the most unique series that I've read in a long time from it. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. No doubt. Hmm. Did, um, Vince wants nothing to do with this. No. That's not doing it for me. Stunned. You hate uh, food, dude. It's true. God, I, I do not hate food. It was food. all about cooking hot well, dogs. You hate you know, food that, that's seeds. of any kind of quality. Right. Okay. Well, you do. I just don't see the value in it. Well, that's what it's we're gas- saying. It's, it's gasoline, uh-huh. man. That's all food is. That's right. <laughs> I'm with you, buddy. High five. <laughs> we, um... It's not like it's fashion or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not like it's fashion one way. The uh, best show on TV. Mm, yeah. Okay. 
the newer Star Wars book. I'm out. What's that? Oh, the journey to Star Wars: Force Awakens. Oh, yeah. One. I read amazing. that. We, we, I read we that. We'll talk about it. You and I read it. Oh, oh please oh. do. I have no. I, I'm not going to read this anytime soon. It. Why? It, because he's. he's that I got a million bucks. It's so much to read, dude. I... But this, this is this is Journey to Force Awakens. There's shit in here that, that it, it matters. No, Seth, uh, I'm not saying uh, I won't enjoy it if and when I finally get around to it. I'm saying that I got. He's like, it's, I, it's, I have 50,000 pages of comics that I need to read. I, it's I'm good. It matters. It, it, everything takes place three minutes after Return of the Empire. Return of the... Yeah. It's, it's like, it's boom. Like, okay, here we go. It's like, hey, we start. Remember, remember Dark Empire? Well, don't. Because this right here... Well, don't. This is, <laughs> you have... Uh, it It looks... I'm going to say... I, I'll just keep saying it. It looks amazing because Chichetto is, is a monster. The man... The, and he's working with Rucka again, who did a kick-ass run on The Punisher. I mean, these two dudes just... They work so well together. And... and uh and and Marco's got the likenesses down, and it's and and you're not hit over the head with it. It's not like it's not like the Lando miniseries or the Leia miniseries. It's not it, you don't have tons of Ewoks and 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 they're well, gods, golden rod. No, I'm, I'm saying that they're not every page. Yes, they're on Endor. Yes, it right. happens after that, and there's the whole celebration with you know nub nub and and everything's going on, but you get new characters. You're you're introduced to to, to, to a green team and, and it, it's, so you're not so bogged down with the familiar and, and so therefore Marco's not just drawing characters. No, 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 no. Dude, pages two and three are one gorgeous. No, yeah. Oh yeah, my God. Three, that, that double page spread is phenomenal with the whole. And the thing, the thing that gets me is they're not extrapolations on stock photos or or, no, or still he is drawing yeah. these characters and it's amazing it with the cloak on vader and the, the fantastic yeah I'm, yeah I'm, great I'm stuff. in awe but it is it's uh you know it, it's only it looks like it's only four issues uh, as opposed to the others like five or so but uh the um yeah i it's it's the only one so far labeled or titled uh, anything related to the upcoming movie, whereas the others are either just about characters or, or a flagship. But, uh, and, and speaking of the flagship, I'm, I'm a couple issues behind. I have not read the Eminem or, um, Von Graubadger issues of Star Wars proper, so I need to get on that. But this was, uh, this was worth it. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I think Luke. That's really the only time you saw Luke was was in the double page spread and made yeah. down during the celebration for a hot second. But other than that, it's uh, like I said, it, it's you know, Rucka isn't. He's playing a type though. Rucka's definitely playing a type. You know, you got your oh, female strong lead. female lead, right? Yeah, and and where she's you know her her uh, her heart is elsewhere and and her mind maybe elsewhere. I mean, it's still on the mission, but, um, you know, I mean, it's, I like the, um, I like the interaction with, with, with Han and, and Chewie, but, you know, mostly it's, you know, I mean, this, this team is working with, with general solo and, um, and it's, it's neat. And, and it's, you know, when everything ended at the end of return of the Jedi, that's not really where, 
things ended. It, it's, it's smart in the sense that, so the, the second Death Star is destroyed, everybody's celebrating, uh, the three ghosts are off to the side that only Luke can see, and then you have just <laughs> the, uh, you, you, fuck them you've ghosts. got, you've got, especially in <laughs> remastered special editions, and eh? who the hell wants to see Hayden Christensen at the end? You have, yeah. um, you have all, all this celebration going on, but it's not like, it, it's not like all the, everybody, everybody from the Alliance just, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, from the, uh, from the Empire just up and left. You know, they, they still had, there was still, there were still bunkers, there were still stations, there were still, there were still troopers. So oh, yeah. there's still shit that needs to be done. And, and that's where this is taking you. It's like, you know, so it was like, we can't really leave, we can't leave the forest a mess. So, uh, we got some cleanup to do and, and that's, that's where the story's going. And I thought, I thought that was, that, that, was, that makes sense. It's, it, it, it definitely does not feel like a retcon. No, at all. no, 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 no. No, it feels like a natural progression right. with a, a handful of new characters. Yes. Yeah. You didn't see everybody in space, of course, you know, they're going to be some new characters. So it, it, it works in that regard. I dug it. Yeah. Of course it's a cash grab, but it's a really, really well done cash I grab. Agreed. Yeah. Ryan, you a Star Wars fan? Yeah, and I, at first I was totally uh, avoiding all these books, but honestly, once Eminence started drawing Star Wars, and <laughs> can you not? Uh, <laughs> you know, I just and everyone's at like I love Jason Aaron's writing, so yeah, I think I'm gonna finally like cave and buy a licensed property book for the first time in in a very very long time. Had uh, a boy. Everyone seems to really like that Star Wars book a lot, and uh, you know, Cassidy was not—he—he wasn't—he wasn't my speed. But now that Eminem's on it, and the writing is supposedly so great, and everyone seems to like Lando. I mean, it's—I uh, think they're finally going to break me. They're going to break me. I have. <laughs> we so, will break I'll, you. I'll—I'll I'll let you read Lando. I don't want to. I, I have a couple issues with it, but um, it's. I think it's some of the best work Maliv has done. Um, in recent years, there are just some things that, uh, that writing wise or specifically dialogue wise, I'm not real keen on, but your mileage may vary. I, I, I like good. Lando. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hosting the spotlight on Charles Soule panel at Baltimore Comic Con. Fantastic. <laughs> First thing and I will yeah. say absolutely no more. There could be a knife fight at the door. Damn, now I want to go to Baltimore Comic Con. It's going to be great. I'm going to tank that thing intentionally. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be the panel of the year. Uh, Jason. Yes, sir. You quiet. No, I'm, so I'm actually not. I've been talking quite that's a bit. Crazy. Uh, that's maybe in your head. What? <laughs> Makes no sense. I love it. I love it when Jason gets all salty. What? I'm just teasing with you, bro. Makes no sense. Uh, um, you know, I uh, it, it was a light week for me. I can't front. Um, yeah. I read a shit ton last week and touched on some of it, but I didn't get a chance to read. Vince, did you? You, Vince, you did read Bloodstrike, yeah? I read the first one, yes. You didn't read you, the second one? I didn't read the second one yet. Oh, no, because I knew David didn't read it. Um, oh, but yes. everything you said, in in hindsight, everything you said has 
rang true, rung true. It's, uh, it's, it's foul. It's it a is. foul book and it, it's really well done. It's fun. It is. I, I love the part with the, with the, the penis held up. It's like, and it's all, yes. it's a, it's, it's all modeled and low, doughy and it's like right in your face. Tell me you at least, I, it, at least we're smart enough to read East of West 20 finally. Nope. No. God damn it, y'all. Just stop reading, you stopped reading good comics. You just figured you'd stop reading good comics. Can I, if you're, if I'm not going to front like you, can I just <laughs> a bit of, a bit of the fire has died for oh me. Oh my God, there. you're out of your gourd. Yeah. I'm not saying specifically hashtags East of West. kill shit, man. Hashtags do, are evil. Has, that hashtag. I don't see no hashtag blast furnace. It's killing The only good hashtag I live for is Simon is the best. Yeah, because he is. Do you know what I'm talking about with that hashtag? You seem obsessed with it. I don't quite get why you're obsessed with it. I know. It, it just bothers the hell out of me that you have a, a, a publishing... Register to Jason. Jason's like, what the fuck is that? I don't know what you're talking about. You have a publishing company speaking directly to the people that make their books, not the people that buy them. Mm. Like, come to well, Image... Listen, and as, only... a, as an image creator, right? Yes, what that's do, why what I, do you think I brought this. I don't know what you're talking about. Thank I you. I know it. Insignificant. In in the previews, Image is running a hashtag on the upper right, I believe, of all their their solicitations that says hashtag own it. Oh yeah, that's 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 their that's their thing. It it, it, it irks adds, the shit. Out. It does too. Yeah. Um, you know, it really doesn't. I, I don't. I don't really have any uh, opinions about it. I'm Thank sorry you. that it upsets you so much, <laughs> uh, but I take no responsibility for it. Well, no, it's, it, it, it just, if to me, it speaks to the fact that they are trying, actively soliciting big name creators to come to their organization. Hey, you know what? If you're working over there, come on over here because you'll own your stuff. As, as a consumer and a reader and a lover of art, that does nothing for me. But I don't care who they get to do geared towards you. Yeah, but that's, but that's, and why, okay, if it's not geared, I agree it's not geared toward me, then why is it in a consumer catalog? Cause dude, previews isn't a consumer catalog. It's a catalog designed for the retailers. That and the customer uses to order their books. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's to make them sound cool. It's like pushing this whole, uh, counterculture kind of, you know, Better, better than the big two in every way. Right. Uh, right. And I, I, I agree with that. It's, it makes, it's, it's something designed to make them seem cool. And in reality, it's doing the exact opposite for me. It's, it's like, a, we know it's not done out of desperation, but it's just like, yeah. And you are so anti-establishment. It's a wonder that we're good friends. It, it bugs me. <laughs> it's not about as establishment as it comes. I'm part but of so the like establishment. As, as, as a person that's worked for Image and I'm now doing some stuff for, for Marvel, uh, you know, both, both are enjoyable experiences, but with <laughs> image, they had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I would turn in finished issues, even issue one, there was no supervision. I just turned in the finished issue. They proofread it and then sent it to press. And that was it. And so it was truly everything that I wanted to do exactly. Um, and now when I'm working on this Marvel story, um, you know, I'm turning in my thumbnails. I turn in my script. I turn in my thumbnails. I turn in, you know, pencils. Then I turn in inks, and then I turn in colors. And uh, you know, there's a back and forth the whole time, and making sure that I'm not doing anything too offensive for the rating of the book, and uh, you know, using the proper characters and and 
you know, so it's a different creative experience. Um, and I can imagine that if that's how you worked all the time, that, that the, that you would be, feel liberated, um, by the hashtag own it company, uh, when you, when you go and you can just do exactly what you want to do. And you don't have to worry about continuity. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, what other people are doing on their books and how it ties into your book. Uh, you know, whether or not you can use these characters because they're dead in continuity, you know, all, things like that. Um, you know, there's different, it all depends on what you want to do. Not every, not every A-list creator is going to jump ship to, to, to image. And I also know that image is not accepting just everything blindly if you're a known creator. Oh no. They, right, they're not. Did he get cut off? Rejected from image. Um, which I think is a really good sign, um, that, that, that they do actually, I mean, they're, they're producing a ton of books, but, there's something about each one of them that, that resonates with Stevenson that is a book that he wants to put out there. And they certainly put out tons of books that uh, fade away after five or ten issues. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't really come to any conclusion through that. But um, it's just I, I just think I think just think it runs the danger of them becoming um, just a, a stable of ultra huge name creators. Oh, yeah, well, it's it's hard to get a book made at Image. Really hard. A lot harder than it used to be. Um and the competition mm-hmm. and it's hard it's hard for them cuz it's it's still a very small company with not many employees. So it's hard to um you know, get the attention, you know, publicity-wise uh, and resource-wise uh if your book isn't, you know, towards towards the top. Um but they still are producing books by unknown people like me, and um, you know, I, I think it just depends on 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 what's um, what's what's good, I guess. Yeah, Ron would never greenlight that damn hashtag. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I think that was Ron's last project. That <laughs> no way, I don't I don't believe it. <laughs> own it. You dropped. Come on, own it. That one. You can. Yeah, that, that's his image swan song. Oh, by the way, did we ever, I don't know that we thanked, uh, or not thanked, that we, uh, congratulated, uh, the iFanboy guys on their 500th episode. No, we didn't. We did. Well, belated congrats, uh, on quite the achievement. We'll be there soon. It's nice having the gang back together, though, I have to say. Like, having Ron back is fun. We're gonna go by, uh, twice a week soon, so. We'll We're going twice a week? Shit, yeah. Uh oh. Wow. <laughs> Are we going to start detailing the Ohatmu catalog line by line? Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? But we can't even, we're lucky we get one a week. The way, the way you fly around the world uh, and stuff, I'll never show up. Never. I think if we took an audit of the last 16 months, you've been absent more episodes than either David or I. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I got got lots more to talk about. Let's let's pick Mr. Brownie's brain even more. You know what you should what do, is Ryan? The, give us a book other than something you've written and drawn that we should be reading that you know we haven't. Well, wait. Let me just back it up for a little oh. bit because he talked about submitting his his thumbnails and scripts and everything to Marvel. Right. I, what, what are you working on at Marvel? Something with Cyclops. No. Yes. It's got it's got three Cyclopses in because, it. Because Cyclopses. <laughs> Yeah, Scott Cyclops is Scott Summers is um yeah I'm doing a I'm writing and drawing a short for um 
for Secret Wars 2, T-O-O, which is their comedy anthology parody um, Secret Wars book that comes out in November. Um, the best part about it is that Sergio Aragones is doing something for it. So awesome. uh, that basically <laughs> makes us best friends because we're in the same book. I like it. I like uh, it. So then we yeah, are because we know we do. So we're all best yeah, friends with Sergio now. Okay, cool. Nash. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I pitched them a really ridiculous idea. I mean, basically, it's like a, you know, it's a battle world thing, so it's kind of outside of continuity, and that's basically the only Marvel thing I could write because I read so little Marvel stuff. Um, but yeah, they let me do whatever I want, and it's really ridiculous, and I'm, I'm super proud of it. And then I'm, based on it, I told them I was gonna pitch a mini series based on that short story, uh, and they said I should. But I think that they thought I was joking. But I'm not joking, and I'm working on it. <laughs> and it's gonna be great. And it's never gonna happen. So, <laughs> yeah. So just slightly change the characters if it doesn't happen, and publish it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go holy terror. Man, I wish. I could oh, touch snap. You know, it's get, it's get, it's like, like a you weren't thinking that. YouTube. Like you were not. No, I wasn't thinking it. I was. Right. Whenever I think of holy terror, I think. Damn. Of, you know, the all-time great masterpieces of the art form. <laughs> yeah, did you guys do. buy Holy Terror? I did. That, I, have, I have two copies, yeah, man. Yes, you do. He knew, he knew he had to because we weren't. Do you yeah. – have you – did you smell your Holy Terror? What, is yours urine soaked, man? The ink that they used on Holy Terror, it's the cheapest paper I've ever experienced other than, like, a newspaper. And uh, right. the ink stinks. It does. Book yes, smells. It physically smells. It was like, oh man. You could buy. Alright, not in terms of stench. <laughs> what about the art? I'm fine. It's Frank's, that's as good as Frank ever was. You've gotta be kidding me. No, it's really it's, good. It's as good as Frank ever was. When, when there's a component of the artwork that makes the reader realize this person just doesn't give a shit. Right. Right? <laughs> completely, you know, it completely, I, I mean, like, because it's no holds barred. He is just letting loose and it looks amazing. It's silly. It is silly. And it, it's, there's, it's a lot of things, but it's just, it's, to me, it's just captivating stuff. It's great. Cool. It's a big middle finger again. I love that. Nice. Well, I also, you can I, do that. I, I, I also think that Frank's health has been pretty poor for a while, and I think right. that it's impaired his ability to draw the way that he used to. So, in that sense, it does affect the art in a, like a very—it's very unique. I will give it that. It is, um, you know, and I don't know if it's a frustrating process for him to draw. If you know, based on how he he might be limited at this point in his in his life, um, might. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, without getting into it too much, but I, I, it is interesting to see what his art has become. And I think his health and age have uh, a lot to do with the way, the direction that his art style has gone over the last, uh, you know, 15 years, 10 years. Yeah. It's nobody's business, but his, but I, I'd be lying if I didn't say or admit that I wouldn't love to know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Because, I mean, he, he may be stoic. 
and 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 trying to pretend like Freddie, just trying to pretend that it whatever is going on doesn't exist. But in 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 admitting it, maybe he could get some kind of maybe he could make his life easier. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think that I think that definitely can happen when you have uh, a disability or a secret or uh, uh, about it. Um, I'm you know, concerned. There's some sort of liberation in people knowing about it. You know. All right. Maybe he can. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just it's 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 a it's a very dis- distressing uh, subject mm-hmm. to me. Not to David and, no, and, and yeah. Jason, who just uh, love to just joke the yeah, shit out of it because we're just haters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, where were we going uh, before I backed it up? David, you Great had question. a question. Did I? Yeah, you had a question for Mr. Brown. You said, well, we'll p- after I picked his brain about the Marvel thing, you... No, all I said was go- that he was he, he's drawing a book with Cyclops. Yeah. That that pleases you. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, there's one version of Cyclops in the story that uh, that I'm not particularly a fan of, but... Well, which one? Oh, the, 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 yeah, the Morrison Quietly version. I'm, and so when you say, you know, yeah, here's, oh, here's a shock, you know, here's Cyclops whining about something, or scared about something. It's like, well, yeah, that's, that's the version that would be, I would expect. But, um, no, I, I, cause when, when you started posting panels that, that, that you were drawing, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, these will be available for sale and you're not drawing them digitally because I, I would like a Ryan Brown Cyclops. It is pretty thrilling to be drawing these characters, uh, honestly. I, you know, I, I'm pretty over superheroes for the most part, but, but, uh, you know, back in, when I was 26, 27, and I was all in still on superheroes, um, that's all I wanted to do was to draw Daredevil and, uh, Cyclops is always my favorite X-Men. So this story is about Dare- Daredevil and Cyclops. So it's, um, unfortunately Daredevil is a bear. But, uh, bear devil, I love it. It's, it's a really dumb joke. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's like, wow, this is actually really fun to be drawing these characters that I, that, um, you know, cause a new X-Men one, I'm doing a little bit of a quietly kind of tiny mouth, puffy lipped, you yeah. know, Robert Zadar shaped face, <laughs> uh, uh, Cyclops kind of thing. And it's, 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 I see, I see the draw, you know, Definitely for for working with these characters that you grew up with and 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 loved, it's really uh, it's really exciting. Is there a Marvel character that has changed more over the years than Cyclops? I don't because yeah, Fifty Shades of Dick. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, he he was he was um, Charlie's right hand man, skinny, you know, for a lot of years. Then he was he became the leader. Then he became the dick. Yeah. I, I mean, even Wolverine hasn't changed that much right. over, over the years. I think mm-hmm. Cyclops, you know, Peter Parker is always Peter Parker, but Cyclops seems to be the one of the very few Marvel characters that they're willing to just let be, let change for big periods of time. I right. think Angel may be next on the list. Well, Cyclops, Cyclops is that character that you're supposed to to enter the story through, right? Because right, he's, yeah. He's the skinny nerd. Um, that just can shoot lasers out of his eyes like we all can. Um, and, uh, just the, the idea that he became, uh, this Jim Lee super buff dude. Uh, oh, I mean, just what is that character? I mean, that, that's He's everything awesome. you love about no. Cyclops. 
Stop it. <laughs> but I mean, sleeping with the enemy with with um, Emma, it's just uh, there's a lot of thanks, Grant. Like, yeah. Up I mean, let's be honest. Scott's an he's an onion like an ogre. You know, <laughs> he just has so back. many layers. That sounds fun. That'd be good. Right after Akira, they're both the same quality. <laughs> oh my <Sorry>. goodness. <laughs> But I wasn't drinking yeah. anything. Yeah, on that damn note. All right, um, right. You, 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 that's all right. Oh, wow. See, see what happens when you go back to drinking? That's a shame. For reals. If you want to get your comics and get them cheap, there's only one place to go, and that's Discount Comic Book Service. DCBService.com. Let me go down the list again. From Z2 Comics, it's Carver, Paris Story Number 1, for $2.19. Dun, 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 dun. Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, the end of the trilogy, uh, number one can set you back $2.99 or $6.49 depending on which flavor you choose. And from Dark Horse, it's the EC Archives. This time around, it's Panic. Volume 1, hardcover for $24.99, which is 50% off the uh, retail price. In your travels, I gotta get it. Uh, James Stokoe started this series off, um, did one issue, and left it in the very able hands of Bob Eggleton. If you don't know who Bob Eggleton is, well, you're probably not a Godzilla fan. Because Bob Eggleton is uh, a visionary. He's He has done, I don't know how many paintings of Godzilla, but this time, he has done the entire issue. Issue number two of Godzilla in Hell is entirely painted and written by Bob Eggleton. It is amazing. Double page, fully painted sp- spreads of hell with Godzilla and Rodan in it. You have to see this book. It's this, this I think this, we know Dave Wachter is going to be on Godzilla, Godzilla in Hell as well. This could very well go down as the best Godzilla miniseries ever. Nice. I've, I've seen I've seen Buster Moody's pages from his issue, and yes, it's amazing as well. So yeah, yeah it's Buster quite quite a team up. Buster's next. Yeah, he's in issue three. Um, King Ghidorah's in this. Oh my God! Get this issue three ninety nine. It is amazing. the The panels are mind boggling. The work that Bob must have put into this single issue is unbelievable. Primarily a cover artist does fantastic Godzilla covers and other things. But this, they gave him the reins to the entire issue, and it is amazing. Could very well be my favorite single issue of the year on my 11 O'Clockers. Maybe. Wow. Yep, it's that good. Godzilla and Hell Number. I haven't seen Wactors yet. so. And, yeah. and who publishes that, Vince? IDW. Okay, well, I have something co-published by IDW. Oh, snap. I know what it is. Uh, I read the third issue over the weekend. I didn't really get to talk too much about the second issue because I didn't think you had read it yet. But in your travels, um, Star Trek Green Lantern, the Spectrum War, uh, moving right along. Everybody who should have rings has rings. We understand why in the third issue, um, there are lanterns in the Star Trek universe and, um, that's all Ganthet's fault. And, uh, thanks to a little something called Last Light. And basically anybody who, um, 
possesses a ring or any lantern still alive uh, kind of gets sucked into this vortex and uh, wherever Ganthet ends up, they end up. So um, they're in, or yeah, they're, they're, they're in earth's future. So um, Hal plays the, uh, the, the rank card for a hot second when, when Kirk is trying to, you know, put everything in, in, in perspective and let Hal know the lay of the land. Um, Hal wants to make sure that uh, we all know that he is still the captain. And even if the air force is no longer around that he was a part of, he is still, his rank still applies and he is, he's captain Jordan. So he um, tries to put himself on the same level as Kirk, but the, the rest of, uh, the rest of the rings are, are where they belong. You see Romulans, you see, um, you see Vince's favorite Lantern Larflees. You have everybody mm-hmm. kind of shows up here. Sinestro, uh, wants to, um, school the, uh, the wielder of, of the, of the yellow ring. And there's, you know, things are going to get worse before they get better. It's, it's got a few issues to go, but all the players are, um, are, are lining up and, and, uh, the, the, armies are being formed and and we'll see where it goes but they um after the first issue which i said was a setup issue with the uh with 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 hal not showing up until the last page the second issue kind of fleshed things out from there and now with the third issue um we're fully in and uh and and we're going to see where it's going so uh it it it's it's been an interesting ride and and has worked out Really well. I mean, I, I think we. Yeah, it's like the Popeil pocket fisherman of comics. Like once Whoa, you see the Ron Popeil reference, respect. <laughs> seriously. But <laughs> once you see the book, it's like, why hasn't someone come up with this idea before? You know, you could have you could have scoffed at at or or wondered about some of the earlier ones, like with the Next Generation and Doctor Who, or or the um, the original series and Planet of the Apes, which again, these worked as well. Yeah. Uh, but this is just it's. Um, it's it's been, you know. What's the common denominator though? Star Trek. Well, yeah, because it, it just works with everything. And uh, and 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 Hernandez has kind of uh, Angel Hernandez looks like it, it reined in a little bit on the uh, or eased up on on making sure that uh, the Star Trek characters really look like the actors. You you get a sense, you know who it's supposed to be, not just because of the yellow or the gold or blue shirt, but uh, it, it's not as, um, heavy handed as it was in the first issue, but I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really digging it. And, you know, I mean, there's, like, the third issue is, is where you, um, where you really find out why things happened in the first issue. And, and, uh, I'm not sure how much of it ties into, um, recent events on the DC side of things. But if it's a standalone little story, then, uh, th- then great. It, it fits in this, but if it actually does tie into things that happened in, uh, post new 52 continuity, that that's pretty spiffy too. Cause really the only time I remember DC kind of doing that was after JLA Avengers, when, uh, the egg, Cronus's egg made its way, made an appearance in the, uh, Busey at Garney JLA storyline. Other than that, 
that crossover was kind of a standalone thing. But this, uh, yeah, I'm just going to say, in your travels, check this miniseries out. Nice. Impromptu Roundtable. What artists awesome. do you think have done an exemplary job in handling licensed comics? Because I think it's a fine line, right? You you don't want to look so much like the characters that they're slaving to photo reference right. and screen caps, but you also don't want the characters to be unrecognizable because it kind of puts you off. So who do you think has done a great job? And I'll, I'll, I'll go first because it's popped in my mind as David was describing that. I think George Genty on Buffy was a That's perfect balance of the two. That's a good one. I got two off the top of my head. All right, yeah. Jaken and Simonson. Oh, uh, Aliens and... Mm, Star Wars and Star Wars. Right, yeah. okay. okay. Um, yeah. Gordon Purcell on Star Trek. and uh, I knew you were going to say Purcell because you talked me into getting him to do my Alpha Flight page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, oh, crap. Um, when Vince said it, I was thinking about it. But, oh, um, for uh, Star Wars, um, Al Williamson. Ooh. Oh shit! That's yeah, the good one right there. You just dropped the hammer right there. That's yeah. yeah, I think you just that's, nailed it. That's, that's the own it hashtag. Yeah, you, you just owned it. <laughs> you owned it like image. <laughs> Ryan, you got any? Uh, well, I love I love Rebecca Isaac's work. Um, yep, that's a good always. one too. So, oh yeah, that's a know. good one too. I'm not a crazy Buffy fan, but uh, her stuff's so great, and it and I can tell who people are. Enough and it's not stiff and not photo referencey, so uh, I think it's pretty pretty perfect. Nice. All right, cool. In your travels, um, want to shout out a book that uh, we talked a bit about last week, um, and uh, you need to get on ordering it if you haven't already done so, and that is the newly titled Sheriff of Babylon, uh, number one of eight, written by our buddy Tom King, art by Mitch Jarrods. Cover art, beautifully, uh, striking, I might add, by Mr. John Paul Leone. First issue drops in December, right before my birthday. Uh, and again, it's eight issue series, three ninety nine from Vertigo. Set in uh, Baghdad in 2003, which, not coincidentally, is when Tom was in Baghdad. And it's about a uh, Florida police uh, mercenary contractor guy named uh, Chris Henry, who basically has to train the Iraqi police force. And, uh, it's a murder mystery. Somebody ends up dead and he has to team up with a, with the last Iraqi cop, uh, in Baghdad named Nasir. And, uh, Tom has promised that it's going to be as grim and gritty and, uh, heart-wrenching as Scout, which he knows music to my ears because I think that's one of the best books of the last five years. So, yeah. uh, if you haven't already done so, pre-order that bitch cause, cause, uh, that'll go a long way in helping out Tom's career. Especially since y'all dropped the ball with Omega Man. For reals. So pissed. If everyone that listened to No Apologies and us bought Omega Men. Oh, forget about it. It would, it would not have been canceled. It'd be spinoffs galore. Man. Same with GHA too, by the way. Y'all dropped the ball on yeah. that too. That's right. <laughs> we begged you to buy that book every month. We did. We did. I know. You guys are awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and most of your listeners are awesome wow. too. No, not enough of them. A fraction of them are awesome. Yes. The majority of them, not awesome. But you can make up for it by leaving us an iTunes review. Don't buy the blast furnace. Ryan's about to pick blast furnace, so I'm saving that for him. Nothing worse than stepping on a creator's dick when he's on the show with us. <laughs> it, As you just did. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Ryan, yeah. you are up. In, you in your travels, buddy, okay. we'll uh, Yeah, uh, in your travels, um, I'll shout out the two great books um, that, uh, you know, create our own books that always need your help. And I know you guys have talked about them, uh, but uh, Andrew McLean's Headlopper, um, which the first collection came out uh, two weeks ago, last week, um, and, uh, from Image Comics. And, uh, and Xander Cannon's, uh, Kaiju Max, which is coming out from Oni. Um, those are two of my favorite books that are coming out now. I mean, Headlopper, the, the first issue was compiling, um, two self-published issues of Headlopper that Andrew had done. Uh, I think only one through Kickstarter, or did he do both through Kickstarter? I don't remember. Um, uh, well, you know, I don't know if he did the first one. I know that I ordered. I think it was I got, just the second one. Yeah, I got the first and the second. I think backing the second is one of the rewards. But I, I agree. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that the first was a Kickstarter. Yeah, um, but you know, that's that's one of these. Like I know Andrew decently, and he's he did backups for God Hates Astronauts, and uh, we talked about this stuff a lot when uh, he was trying to get Image to pick up Headlopper and. Um, you know, it's just a it's just an, a case with both of these books, Kaiju Max and Headlopper, uh, with creators finally getting uh, a venue to do exactly what they want to do, um, which is mm-hmm. really exciting. Um, you know, Andrew was doing this book by himself, um, and then now that he can actually get to do it, and um, hopefully the orders are good enough that he can make some like a living off of it, that means that he can dedicate more time to it. And uh, uh, I'm really excited to see. Um, volume two, it's quarterly, um, and it's like a triple sized issue, I think, like 60, 70 pages or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I highly recommend that. And, and Xander Cannon's Kaiju Max, which is, uh, just basically, uh, an amazing love story to, um, Japanese kaiju films, um, which I was originally supposed to draw and developed with Xander, uh, back in the day, um, and then, um, when I got God Hates Astronauts an image as uh, I had to walk away from the project. And honestly, Xander loves uh, Japanese monster movies more than anyone I've ever met. So I just, you know, was like, I'm going to leave and the book will be better because of it. And you draw it because um, you know what you're doing. And, uh, and yeah, I think he's, I think he's a, definitely a, a modern master of, of comic storytelling. And that mm-hmm. is uh, nothing but charm and heart and, uh, and fun. So, yeah, in your travels, pre-order Kaiju Max. Add it to your pull list. Same with Headlopper, because that—that's uh, how print orders um, get made more appropriate for what the actual sales are going to be. Um, nice. So there you go. Add a boy, and then and then go support Blast Furnace. Yeah. Gots <laughs> to do it. Gots to do it. Well, everybody, we thank you very much for being here with us. If you enjoyed what you heard, please join us again next week. And as Jason pleaded, can you leave us an iTunes review? Because they really matter, um, those of you that have not done so in the past. I think it's kind of jank that you can't leave more than one. I mean, you can leave another iTunes review, but it doesn't get right. dumped into the total tally, which yeah. is silly. That's true. Because a show could change in quality. That's right. For the better or worse, and someone could come back and say, you know, I really didn't like this in the beginning, but damn, it's pretty good now. Sure. Um, such is the case with us. So, thank you for being here. Thank you, Ryan. We we always enjoy yeah, your company. Thanks for having me. Come back, McSoon. And as David is always want to say, 
Good night, David. Good night, David. Too long. You waited too long. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? He did. He I thought my long. internet broke. He went. No. Oh, yeah. no we, that's the game. It's the thing we do. So everybody say bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> say, say night, David. Uh, I'm gonna cut his ass off. I'm in control. <laughs> For once. straight